This place is special. Get asked all the time, where's your favorite place to take college game day? And I say every time, Eugene, Oregon. Yes. This is the best crowd. Honestly, it's six in the morning here. Yeah. It's dark. It's raining. They don't care. These fans right here, pound for pound, are as good as any college football fans in the country. This program is staged to compete and to win championships. Oregon is going to be in the championship game. Can you believe the magical season this has become? When we watch this film, does our effort beat theirs? Here's Bo Nix. Guns been making deposits. Time to cash the check. Sound at Austin, which is deafening for an Oregon 15-point win. Chip Kelly still does not have a win against his former school, and we say farewell. Man, it feels great to be a duck. Welcome to the QB11 Show, presented by Scoop Duck, with Doug, Andrew, and J-Hop. Here are the guys with the latest scoop. Welcome back into the QB11 show presented by Scoop Duck. I, of course, am Doug Scott. I'm joined as always by QB11. Andrew, good evening. How are you today? Good evening. It's kind of funny because usually we come in here and we've already said hello, but I kind of just butted in on you and our guests' conversation and haven't had an opportunity to say hello to either of you. So hello to you, Doug. And then also hello to our wonderful guest, Hithliday Allman from uh, Addicted to Quack, um, as well as the It Never Rains on this podcast correct uh that is correct it is the name of the podcast and the website for which i am the managing editor and and hithelday of course is known to all our listeners and is always uh one of our most listened to episodes one of our most requested episodes we often get questions like when's hithelday coming back on again we love that so he's here now this week during bye week uh we continue our Work week, I guess we should call it QB, because we have four episodes this week instead of two. So I don't know. Bye week didn't hit us the right way, or it did, and our listeners are benefiting. Something along those lines. I was under the impression that we were just going to like kind of take it easy this week, and then you watched that video of Dan talking to the team after the game and decided that uh, we didn't get to take the week off. So um, instead, we decided to bring awesome content with Hithliday, and I'm actually really excited because we. Uh, we, it's been too long since we've had him on and his articles on a week by week basis always really get me. So I know our uh, listeners are going to be really excited to hear what he has to say. Yeah. So let's dive right in. I know we always can talk a long time when, when QB and hit get going. So let's dive right into it. We're going to, we're going to break down the Oregon offense through the first five games. Then we'll talk about the defense a bit and then uh, we'll pivot into some of the success rate charting that Hithliday has done for Oregon. And then maybe if we have a little time at the end, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what, Hithliday has seen in his uh, film analysis and charting of the Huskies, the Ducks' next opponent, of course. So why don't we just jump right in there and um, you know maybe cue it up on the on the offensive side with at a high level Hithliday. Kind of what have you seen so far that are good? What you know maybe we'll start with the good and then we can get into some some warning signs or, or things to be watching for going forward after that. And and as always, I'm sure this conversation will flow very naturally as soon as it gets started. So here we go. Uh, on the offense, uh, you know, it's green across the board. You know, I, I've got, um, I, I have championship caliber, uh, uh, efficiency yards per play and explosiveness metrics, uh, for both the run and the pass for Oregon, um, you know, in, uh, in all four of their FBS opponents. Um, I've got, uh, uh, 
61.7% uh, passing efficiency, uh, where, uh, in my experience, uh, anything above 60% is championship caliber. Um, they are passing at about 8.4 adjusted yards per attempt, um, which is, you know, a, a championship caliber. And they are passing at about 17.4% uh, of their pass attempts gain 15 plus yards. Um, it, the... To, to the extent that they're off a little bit from the like truly elite level, like the LSU 2019, you know, like crazy, it's, you know, it's the uh, explosive passing area. I would like to see them above nine uh, yards per attempt and above 20% uh, on the explosiveness metric. Um, you know, the, the biggest issue has been uh, uh, not connecting on deep shots. You know, there's, it, it's basically like there's two or three more deep shots. You know, they, they were, they missed some passes in the tech game and there's been a, a couple of other, you know, missed passes where it was there. You know, the receiver burned them. Uh, the protection was there or at least was there long enough. You know, Nick's had the opportunity to set his feet and it's just he overthrew him um you know i i it, i don't really have enough data yet to say that's a pattern i'm just you know it we're still operating with a small enough sample size with only four games and with so many of them going into garbage time so quickly that's the other thing uh, that i should mention for everybody's not super familiar with my work is that you know i i cut off the stat collection as soon as garbage time kicks in which you know happened for hawaii colorado and stanford you, you know which is three of the four games that i'm considering you know pretty early um you know so uh uh you know i'm i'm operating with a uh uh you know, I, I, I think, um, 115, uh, pass attempts, something like that, you know, in, in meaningful play. So, you know, w when, I, when I'm saying, you know, I'd like these numbers to go up, I, you know, I'm talking about like maybe three or four more, you know, over the course of the sample, it, it's, it, uh, you know, it's, it's that, you know, it, 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 it's that minor of a, a needle move that would need to happen and, and fully something that I expect is a possibility, um, you know, going forward. I'm not saying like I'm worried or anything. I'm just saying, you know, more data uh, and, and just like maybe a little, you know, I it's not something where I'm, I'm saying, oh, I think there's a problem with Nix's accuracy. I'm saying like, I'm sure that they will start, you know, connecting a little bit more and that this will, this phenomenon will go away. Um, and, and then that's it. And then the run game, um, uh, has been excellent. Uh, uh, 64.6%, um, uh, efficiency, 7.2, uh, yards per carry, uh, adjusted and, uh, 24.4% uh, explosiveness, which is, I mean, those are all elite numbers. I mean, those are incredible. The, the only, the thing that's funny is that it's down slightly from, uh, the previous, uh, two years when Oregon had like a truly absolutely elite offensive line. Um, and, uh, 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 and they were hitting numbers that I'd never seen before, you know, like seven, 75% success rate, which is just like a gobsmacking numbers. The, with, with Oregon's relatively new offensive line, there have been, you know, some adjustment. They're still committing about one more run blocking error per game than, uh, than, than what they would need to, in order to hit the, like the Oregon standard for, for, 
which is essentially elite level run blocking. Um, but but I think that's coming. You know, they've been getting better every game. I mean, it's funny. The Portland State game, the FCS opener, was their worst performance against an FCS team, you know, which tells you it's not the opponent. It's it's just time, you know. Um, and, and so I, I expect by the time they, they finally play a team that has a good run defense, which is, you know, Utah in like late October, that they'll probably be in shape, you know, to, to, to really be, you know, cooking with gas. Um, so in conclusion of this long rant, yeah, all, all systems green across the board for the offense. I, I, yeah. Looks really good. It's funny because I don't do any of the charting you do, but the the things that you're noting are all things that have come up in my a little bit more primitive film study of of what the offense has been doing. I think um, going forward into this next stretch of games, connecting on a higher percentage of those deep passes downfield um, is going to be paramount because I think that those opportunities are going to become fewer and further between mm-hmm. with the general jump in quality that we're going to see. Um, and, and those explosive plays make a big difference because – being able to just continually grind teams out with efficiency. Maybe that is what they can do all year, uh, but that's definitely the harder, uh, harder road to truck than just getting, than being able to count on two to three big explosives through the passing game on a ga- on a game by game basis that uh, chew up massive yardage and, and get points on the board quickly. Um, so that's something I, that I've noted as well. And it was, I don't know if you had the numbers from last year available, Hith, but it wasn't something that I recall being a massive issue last year. It just seems that uh, Bo's been a little bit off uh, through the first, I guess, five games of the season uh, downfield. I, I mean, I, I feel like I've seen uh, missed passes, uh, but like, the, you know, the, I've seen him missing passes. I've seen him missing passes that he made last year, but you know what? He missed passes last year. I guess I would say, look, look, man, it's been four games and three of them are, are like half games at best. Like the sample size is too small for me to say, you know, to compare 2022, you know, the entire set of 2022 data to like, you know, what does that work out to like, like two and a half games, basically, of oh, 2023? Sample, yeah. yeah, it's just like, don't ask me to say, you know, one way or the other. Uh, here, I just pulled up the 20. I was vamping a little bit. Uh, yeah, the uh, the 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 they were their explosiveness rate in uh, for the full 2022 data minus the FCS game um, was 18.6 uh, percent. Uh, and this year so far it's 17.4%. So they're down uh, a 1.2 uh, percent and they're We're, passing in, in a tiny sample size. So. Yeah, in a tiny sample. So it's just like, guys, you know, y- yeah, okay. It is, I mean, it's down 1.2%. It's down 1.2%. Yeah, that's something I think that you can live with, assuming that as the, the sample grows, that it improves. If it's even real, you know, uh, if it's even real, you can live with it, and it may not even be real. And then with the pat, and then with the with the run game, everything that you said, a hundred percent checks out on my end as well. Just there was a lot more errors in in whether it be duo blocks, combo blocks, handoffs in the zone run game. Like there just was not. I mean, when you're breaking in new guys, there's going to be an adjustment period. But I would say that through my film study, that this tackle pairing is a lot better than our tackle pairing last year. Um, specifically in pass pro where uh, oh yeah the pass protection has been like from off the bat has been elite 
like no problems in pass protection. Yeah. Um, and, and then the, I, I think that the run game has uh, started to figure itself out here um, as the sample size has grown, as we gotten deeper into the season and those combination blocks and the timing that's involved with, with that uh, improves. So we'll, we'll see what it looks like as, again, as the competition gets ramped up and we start to play some better football teams. Uh, but I'm very, very encouraged by the, the week over week improvement that I've seen uh, in those aspects of the run game. Uh, and I think that getting Strother back at guard will be helpful as well because uh, we've been rotating so many guys and some of those guys are really young. And so you would expect them to make mistakes. Uh, when you think of guys like Poncho um, and uh, Yuli starting to get more and more reps in serious time. Yeah, there was yeah, a lot made him. in the offseason by some national pundits and some ones that cover the Pac-12 about, you know, oh, replacing four starters, Oregon's offensive line is a big question mark. And quite frankly, it was one of the driving reasons why a lot of people had Oregon ranked lower, um, you know, than some of the other teams in this conference and, and maybe maybe where they deserve to be. And the, and the call out always was, well, the offensive line is turning over four players, the offensive line is turning over four players. I think those of us who follow the program a little, a little more closely and, and knew you know, the, the players that were going to be replacing them weren't like redshirt freshmen who've never played, right, but were more experienced players for the most part, either from Oregon or, or from transfers. Um, I don't know. We have talked about this preseason hit day about, you know, your your previous work on transfers and at the on the offensive line and, and the concern you've had where, you, given with the small sample size, as you said, that, that does haven't always, um, you know, hit the ground running very well. But it seems to me like I'm now they're, starting they're to hear some of the They're playing one transfer. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not taking yeah, any that's heat true. on one. that theory, yeah, yeah. you know. No, you're, you're right. It's just one now. The, their line has been Josh Connerly, uh, 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 Harper, Powers Johnson, Stephen Jones. Uh, uh, they've been rotating in uh, Iapani Lalaulu. And, uh, and and then the one transfer has been Cornelius. Like, I, I ain't taking any heat on my transfer theory. I, I, I'm, I'm still going to maintain if it's two or more transfers you're in trouble <laughs> well i think that, I that we're gonna see that, that i think that that over the back about... half of the season yeah go ahead Kimmy. we're well we're, we're definitely going to see a second transfer factory in the rotation here in the second well, half of the season yeah, I, I mean, uh, yes. Uh, so for anybody who missed it, like I, which I wouldn't blame you for, um, the very last drive against Stanford, uh, Nishad Struther like came in and played left guard um, for the entire time. Like it was it was garbage time. It was only one drive. So, you know, I didn't uh, chart it or, or grade it or anything. Um, and and I, I, I I mean, I graded the one meaningful drive that uh, Dave Uli played against Colorado, but it was only one drive. So, you know, I'm yes. going to, you know, tiny samples. It, yeah. Exactly. Um, but I did have enough for the six guys who've been playing, you know, um, uh, um, in number 72 and number 74, Stephen Jones have been, you know, rotating. Um, it, it, uh, the, it, Jones has about 132 total snaps, uh, meaningful snaps, and and uh, Lala Ulu has uh, about 63. Um, uh, you know, so, so, so Jones still has a substantially more, but like, uh, you know, not to sugarcoat it, like Jones still has the worst, you know, grades on my tally sheet, you know, on, on the team, both in, in, uh, well, actually his pass blocking has been fine. Um, but, but run blocking definitely like his, his run blocking grades out at about a 20% error rate, which is, 
definitely not the Oregon standard. Um, whereas uh, Lalaulu is at ten percent, which is pretty good. Um, uh, now with only like sixty three snaps, like a, it's kind of a, a, a bit like I'm a little hesitant about saying that out loud because it's like it's a little too few snaps for me to say that about uh, like with confidence. But like from what I've seen in film, like I, I like his technique. And I mean, he's a freshman. Like it's you know that's that's remarkable um it's also a little funny though that marcus harper is, is the guy with the second worst um run blocking grades it's sort of like yeah so like anyway this has all been to say i agree with you qb like i think as soon as as struther is 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 is, is healthy which may very well be um uh, uh by the next time they play um that he's probably got a job waiting for him um you know at least one of these guards and interestingly at the stanford game um uh harper got uh, replaced in uh, in uh, later on in the game they actually moved lalo ulu uh, over they brought jones back in at right guard and they had number 72 replace number 55 um so like they really believe in him um and uh and uh and yeah my sheet anyway jones and harper you know the two starting guards are the the more problematic dudes um i mean it's been getting better since the beginning of the year but like it's you know no question you know the problem ain't powers johnson you know the no he's been fantastic in my yeah. opinion <laughs> he's um, been excellent the the thing with harper is like at least from what i've heard he's not 100 percent healthy yet and i've heard he, that too yeah and i you can kind of tell like i think you could he hurt that shoulder mm-hmm. um in the off season during camp and he still kind of favors it. And I noticed that like, especially when he's doing a reach block specifically to the, to the right, mm-hmm. he's, he doesn't quite have the same control that he did a year ago. Um, anecdotal, right? Like we can't hundred percent confirm that, but pretty good people have told me that that's the case. Um, and I think that that matches up with what I've seen on film as well. But I mean, I could definitely see a scenario in which Struther replaces Jones and, and they start just like straight up replaces Jones, like like Stephen Jones just sits on the bench, you know, until garbage time. And and they switch the dude that Lalaulu is rotating with to be Harper, right? So that it's a Harper Lalaulu rotation instead of a Jones Lalaulu rotation. Um, and Struther is like a full time starter with Jones full time on the bench. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. think that would actually be a pretty viable solution and it would significantly. I mean, assuming that Struther is going to have a good success rate, it would significantly improve uh, Oregon's run blocking success rate. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. I watching Struther at, at ECU, and I know you did your film study on him as well, I fully expect him to be better in the run game than what we've seen from either Harper or Jones so far this year. Yeah, it was definitely his strength. Like when making the comparison between him and Junior Angelau, um from you know from texas and like angelo's film that i had to look at was from 2021 you know because he had to miss all of 2022 um with that injury uh like it, like the it was reversed like angelo like you couldn't get past him in, in pass pro at all but like he was you know just much stiffer than struther was in run blocking and like hey you know man oregon's not really having a problem in pass blocking you know no, no, the tackle quality again. I can't really get over it. Johnny Cornelius is playing as well as I have. I, mean, a, I have a two point two percent error rate for Cornelius in pass blocking. Like, 
yeah, he's dude was playing in the FCS last year. Yeah, he 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 definitely fits in. I'm starting to worry he's playing so well that we might not have him next year. Um, I hope that's not the case, but you never know. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, he's um, good. And and Connerly's playing well too. He still need like he could still stand to get stronger. Um, and you, yeah. and that shows up in the run game sometimes. But I, I really don't worry. There's there's no edge rushers in this conference. I mean, the only one that probably can because he's more of a power rusher. Like everything's built around his power is Trice, and we'll see mm-hmm. what that looks like next week. So um, everybody else, I mean, he's he's a dancing bear. He can stay in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah, right. You know, but but you know, the thing that's been encouraging to me is is that like every week it gets better. Like, and like, and the thing is that the quality of the opponent that they've been playing has not been a linear improvement. You know, week to week, but the the their run blocking grades have been. You know, which which tells me that like it doesn't really have anything to do with the opponent. It ha- it has it's just time. You know, which is like that. I mean, like, it's not like I'm an offensive line coach. Like, I I know nothing about offensive line. Like, 100% of what I know about offensive line coaching is what, you know, coaches clinic tapes that I've been able to dig up at the library from, like, watching a dude with a gray buzz cut in athletic shorts and, like, socks pulled up to his knees, like, you know, growling at me about, like, how you're <laughs> supposed to block. Like, that's it. That's all I know about blocking. And, uh, uh, but the, the only thing I've ever learned has been uh, that, that I've been able to glean from that sort of stuff is time. You, you just, you know, which, but going back to what Doug was making fun of me about, uh, about my theory about, like, uh, uh, offensive line transfers and why I'm so skeptical about them. You know what offensive line transfers rob you of? Time. Yeah. Yeah, because you just are throwing them right in. They don't have right. the opportunity to gel with the unit, so the gelling has to happen during the season. Yeah. Uh, which, so you want to know what's wrong with UCLA's offense? The offense. Well, the, I don't think the talent on their offensive line is very good either. Well, I think right, it's a yeah, that's a, yeah. That Dante Moore should definitely transfer out of there. I mean, you, you, no arguments here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Well, uh, yeah, and, and you get Tetra McMillan out of Arizona too, and there's our. Here's our hall. Yeah, there you season. go, man. Yeah, perfect. We're set. the uh, The other thing I've I've noticed, and I'm sure that you've noticed this in your charting as well, is the tight ends are blocking at a high level, um, specifically yes, the last few weeks. Uh, I I actually wasn't super impressed with the performance week one by the tight ends blocking, but as the season's gone on, they've improved along with the offensive line. I think on a week by week basis. Overall, that's been true. Ferguson didn't have a great week last week. Um, uh, he, his, his grades dipped below 60%, uh, but otherwise he is a, he's above 60%. Herbert has actually been doing fantastic. He's yeah. at, he's at 68% for me, um, which is excellent. Um, uh, uh, Kelly's at 47%, uh, which is a little weird, although his snap count is so low that like, I, uh, you know, I don't know, that might be a sample size deal. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and tight end usage has been much more extensive than I was expecting out of Will Stein after I did my whole project on his year at UTSA when, uh, you pretty much only played one tight end, you know, on like 84% of snaps. I was really expecting him to be a one, you know, tight end dude and like, not true. Um, you know, it's been multiple tight ends, you know, a whole lot. Um, actually, to the, on that? Uh, I do. Hold on. Um, 
they uh they've been in uh 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 let's see Actually, I, I, well, you're looking uh, they've for been it, on they've been on a single i don't have percentages for you i have the absolute sorry uh they've been in in uh one tight end sets uh on 105 snaps uh two tight end sets on 68 snaps and three tight end sets on 18 snaps um so whatever that works out to sorry uh uh anyway the uh i, I probably write it but i can't write and talk at the same time sorry um the uh uh so anyway that's a, a lot more here if i have some criticism for will stein uh you know in terms of this isn't really criticism but sort of like it's a deviation from something that i had noticed um going back to even marcus arroyo like multiple offensive coordinators the last like five years or so is that oregon up until this year had been ex very, very good about totally concealing the play call, you know, run versus pass on formation and uh, down in distance, everything. It was like total poker face, man. Um, you know, they could be, you know, 11 personnel, 12 personnel, multiple running backs didn't matter. You couldn't tell what the play call was going to be. You couldn't tell what the play call was going to be on first and 10. It was like 50-50 run, run pass, you know, whatever. Stein has been, I don't know about like tipping his hand, but like dude likes to pass more than he likes to run. You know, it's like, uh, the, they're running the ball, uh, uh, they're, they're, they're running the ball about 39% of first and tens, uh, and, and passing the ball on, uh, whatever that is 61%, you know, that's, that's not 50, 50, you know, like Oregon in the past has been much closer to 50, 50. Um, and, and then, uh, you know, when it's one tight end, two tight ends, three tight ends, it's like, you know, it, it, it's like, you know, 30% uh, run with one tight end, 50% run with two tight ends, 77% run with three tight ends. It's just like you can you can guess pretty well what the play is going to be if it's 11 personnel or 13 personnel, um, you know, whereas Oregon in the past has been like, you know, much tighter, you know, much, much more like 60, 40. Um, it's, it's not quite tipping your hand. Like I've seen teams that are so extreme that like you really can't just like forget it, man. They're absolutely not going to run out of this formation or absolutely not going to pass out of this formation. And Oregon's not quite that way um, under Will Stein, but it's sort of like I did appreciate the older way of doing things where it was just like absolute poker face and this is not absolute poker face you almost wonder though with that how much is a uh, like they're showing tendency with counters prepared for later in the season that'd be cool like that like the because we haven't really we haven't played enough good teams yet to see a lot of the counters off of some of the interesting formations that we've shown on tape so far. Sure. Uh, and that's something that's like I'm really looking forward to seeing because in terms of like formational, like the way we've created leverage using formation, the way that we've abused personnel groupings to get the uh, the right kind of defensive personnel that we want on the field. Mm -hmm. um, like specifically, I know that you noted this as well against Hawaii. Um, when we went 12, they put in another linebacker and it's sure. like, okay, we'll just play 12 all game <laughs> because you're, yeah. you're putting another slow player on the field and it, we could just play Sadiq or there's all kinds of things that we can do to be way more athletic than you with two, with 12 person on the field. And so um, I've loved, I've loved the way that um, Stein has created leverage using some of our un unbalanced stuff. Again, a lot of it is stuff that Dilly was doing in new ways. Um, but I think overall, I've actually been more impressed with the play calling this year than I was a year ago. 
I will, I, I, I'll, I'll put it this way. Um, uh, I have uh, over a, a long period of time of observing, you know, not just Oregon, not just other teams, but like how teams interact with each other and not just how teams interact with Oregon, but like, you know, so, so like when I'm watching, you know, the team that Oregon is about to play, I have to watch them play other teams that Oregon, you know, will play a little bit later in the season, right? You know, one of the nice things about being in a conference is you sort of build up all these network effects, right? And one of the things that I, you know, then notice is that like, okay, you know, team B has all these defensive tendencies. And so how do do teams A, C, and D, how do their offenses uh, like attack those tendencies? And like what I notice is there's sort of a spectrum between on one end of the spectrum, there are teams that are very much like we have our identity. We have like our set of plays that we know how to do and we're just going to do them right. So like, I don't know, think like Stanford, you know, under David Shaw, where it's like, I don't care what you want to do. I'm going to do my thing. And that's that. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got folks who are like, they really get off on uh, like custom tailoring a very specific game plan, you know, to like exploit those defensive tendencies and manipulate the defense and get them out of the way and, and just be like super clever right like so chip kelly <laughs> um and uh uh the the uh, and there are other examples too um the and, and like and everybody does there there's there's there i just listed two examples as sort of archetypes but but there's nobody who's like totally on one extreme or the other everybody sort of falls somewhere on that spectrum everybody sort of adjusts a little bit everybody has you know certain plays that they like running and you know nobody has an infinite sized playbook they they are you know they they focus on certain things um and i i'm i'm also i don't want to say that there's like a correct answer to this that like adjusting is the right thing to do or identity is the right thing to do or that there's a sweet spot or at least I haven't studied this enough to know if there's a sweet spot maybe there is but I uh, like I don't think there's a right or wrong answer I think that you should just do whatever you're best at doing all I can offer is the observation that this coaching staff, you know, Oregon in 2023, definitely like a hundred percent falls on towards the end of the spectrum of designing customized week by week game plans. Like they are very much about like observing your defensive tendencies and figuring out ways to manipulate you and get you out of the way. Um, or, or, yeah, get you out of the way. Uh, like they, they like doing that, which again, I'm not necessarily saying is the right way to do things. I mean, it's fun for me as a film reviewer because I get to point it out in my articles. Like that's real fun. But, uh, you know, you and you can get too cute that way. You know, like there are times when you can watch teams like that where you're just like, guys, you know, maybe just focus on some bread and butter here. Um, but like it's well, it's 100% true that, that this team likes to, to manipulate defenses. Well, I think it's the so benefit look, of, of having, sorry, Doug, I'll let you go. Uh, it's the benefit of having a talented roster of offensive skill players at every position where if you want to run different personnel groupings, you're not hamstringing yourself offensively. Whereas like if Iowa was to come out and decide they're going to run 10 personnel for the day, they don't even have four receivers on the, on the roster. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those things where I think that the, 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 it's a luxury that's been earned on the recruiting trail. Uh, and now they have so they have 
complete and utter flexibility and you have a control with so or you have a quarterback with such great control of the offense that you can really be very very different on a week by week basis but i don't think that that's a luxury that every team has and that that uh, every coach can use on every team because i think that ultimately it's personnel based yeah well said i, I was just going to go back to those tight end numbers those 55 percent one tight end 35 two and then only about 10 percent three three tight end sets which i agree I, I mean i think we all thought that with our you know, kind of limited uh, what we thought was a limited number of, of playable tight ends or at least high end tight ends. And as well as all of the receiver talent that we brought in, we, we thought we'd see less of that and more 11. And, and really we're on the receiver front. We're playing essentially four receivers in a rotation across the board. And maybe we'll take a quick break here. And then when we come back, we can talk a little about receivers and running backs. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. All right, we are back from our break and just kind of getting into the offense a little bit more. Day QB, you know, we kind of left, we talked about the O-line a bit. We talked about Q, uh, like Bo Nix, obviously. Um, talked a little bit about the tight end usage and and just overall offense. I thought the, the last segment about the overall kind of offensive philosophy of Will Stein was was really um, great stuff. You want to talk a little bit about receivers and running backs? Uh, well, your observation uh, before the break uh, is correct. Uh, I mean, they effectively have only been playing for uh, wide receivers, you know, during meaningful play. Uh, you know, uh, Troy Franklin, Tez Johnson, uh, Gary Bryant, and uh, Treshawn Holden. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously the lion's share has been going to Troy Franklin. Um, uh, uh, you know, they. I, I've been... You know, all all of them are excellent receivers. I, I've got no complaints with any of them. You know, all of them grayed out very well. Um, the minor compunction, you know, Gar Gary Bryant uh, has the lowest blocking grades. I don't think that, you know, ought to surprise anybody. <laughs> like, he's he's not the biggest dude in the world. Um, I'm actually kind of surprised how good Tez Johnson's blocking grades are because uh, he's not the biggest dude in the world either. Um, but so anyway, good for him. He, he, he took to the training table. Well, I guess in Oregon, he was like skinny as a rail in Troy, Alabama. Um, but uh, uh, he looks a little, you know, thicker now, I think. Um, uh, uh, the, I, I, if I have a surprise at all, and like partially this is explained uh by what we were discussing about the tight ends you know like if you have multiple tight ends on the field there's just less hey you you, you can't have more wide receivers on the they only put 11 dudes on the field um uh, uh, I, I guess I've been if I've been surprised by anything it is that uh you know, where's the other outside tall outside receiver? You know, they've, they've been playing Gary Bryant as the X, which like USC 
did that under Clay Helton and I wrote an entire article about like, don't do that. Um, and, uh, uh, or it's like, it's not the best use uh, of his abilities. Um, and, uh, and Oregon's got, you know, they're young, um, but they, they've got like four, you know, tall dudes. Um, and I'm, we haven't really other, uh, other than garbage time, uh, you know, we haven't really seen them and I'm sort of like, where are they, you know, are they, are, are they hurt? Are they not ready? Are they, is, is there, are, are they keeping the powder dry? You know, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm, I am eager to find out what the answers to those questions are. Um, I, I, I think I would like to see, uh, I, I think I would like to see, you know, some more wide receivers on the field. I think I would like to see some more options for tall outside wide receivers besides Franklin and Holden, who, like who I know is a tall dude, but is not quite the type of guy I'm talking about here. Um, yeah. But, but that's it. It's... I've actually, like, one thing I noticed is Holden's role has seemed to grow week over week. Because yeah. um, earlier in the season, it was pretty much Bryant Johnson and Franklin. Uh, and Holden's actually really impressed me in a lot of ways. Um, I think his physicality that he brings to the table mm-hmm. um, is something that's a nice changeup. Like, he's very clearly the biggest and strongest of that group. Uh, I think I've been impressed with Franklin's effort as a blocker, but he's not naturally as large as Holden is obviously Johnson and Brian aren't very big. So having Holden on the field, especially when we get down in the red zone, um, cause I've noticed that a lot of times when we go to those 13 personnel looks, he's actually the only receiver on the field, not Franklin, uh, which gives us just another element as a blocker. They can motion him down and have him crack block uh, linebackers. There's all kinds of different things they can do with him on the field. Uh, so I want to, I want to shout him out cause I thought he's been, I've been very impressed with how he's played and the way he ran over Shiloh Sanders made me smile ear to ear. So that's always a good thing too. Um, QP. Sorry. Well, uh, we've really been using him primarily in the screen game as the, as the screen receiver a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And then I think he's caught some downfield passes kind of more, you know, here and there, but it, it definitely feels like there's a lot of design screens to him. Yeah. And, and Franklin's been fantastic. Like I don't. I, it needs to be said, but I don't want to spend too much time on it because it's obvious and everybody knows it. Um, but I'd like to see Bryant and and Tez continue to like gel with 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 Bo because I think though that's where a lot of the the misconnections on those deeper balls has been is between those two with Bo Nix. Uh, and if we can get that dialed in, I think that that adds another element to the offense. I'd also like to see whether it's Dicky, whether it's Casper. Um, so another, another larger receiver step up on the outside, because like you said, I think Gary Bryant's a lot more effective on the inside of the offense, which is also why I think we've seen Holden's role grow over the last couple mm-hmm. of weeks. But, um, overall it's hard to complain about that group. And I, and I want to also go back to the tight ends for just a moment and say, you were right. And I was definitely very wrong about Patrick Herbert. Patrick Herbert's playing a lot better than I thought you'd play this year. Uh, and seeing him fully healthy, I think it gives me a lot of confidence, uh, going forward. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's been great to see. I mean, it, like it, it's, I was sort of a leap of faith, but like, yeah, I mean, dude was hurt, you know, and, and, uh, uh, but, but Hey, you know, what was it that Mario Cristobal was saying that, you know, Justin better look out because, you know, Patrick Herber is the better athlete in the family. <laughs> yeah. I still don't think that's true, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'd, I'd I'd like to see some of those brotherly, uh, you know, arm wrestling matches. That might be interesting. Yeah, Justin. Justin's like he's like uh, Optimus Prime at quarterback. So, <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, well, we, we finally got to see a little bit of Chris Hudson, you know, he's not a, a tall, you know, outside receiver, but like, I, you know, Oregon can play him on the outside. I mean, he was their second re- leading receiver, um, uh, last year, uh, you know, catching plenty of balls, uh, you know, caught 44 passes from Bo Nix, you know, last year, uh, you know, and, the, and they were playing him on the outside a lot. Uh, so, you know, maybe it's Chris Hudson, um, you know, at the very least, you know, as you say, you know, liberating Gary Bryant to move to the inside um, uh, would would be a benefit in and of itself, even if, you know, he's not, you know, six foot three, like some of these other dudes are um, in, in gaining that advantage um, or the advantage is intrinsic to having a six foot three receiver on the outside. But yeah, like selfishly, I would hope that that maybe that's Jerry on Dickey as we get toward the you know, the back half of the season, right? Yeah, man. You know, obviously coming off an injury, he wasn't ready, uh, but he's a five-star talent for a reason, right? If he's a guy who can give you 15, you know, meaningful snaps at the outside receiver in, in you know, in primary play, not garbage time, then then that allows you to move Gary inside a little bit more too. And I, that I look for, I'd like to see that personally versus a Chris Hudson, no offense to sure. Chris. And I mean, we've already seen uh, Kyler Casper, uh, you know, the red shirt freshman who's you know, six, six, you know, he's enormous, you know, played during garbage time, you know, in the FCS game. Um, and, and uh, you know, so, so he's seen the field, but like, you know, but maybe it's justice low, you know, or maybe it's Ashton Cozart, uh, you know, the, the, the true freshman, um, you know, as well, you know, they've got four of them. They're all freshmen, you know, that, you, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, for two of them who are true freshmen, for obvious reasons, we didn't see him on the field last year. We didn't see the red shirt freshman really uh, last year, but like, like they're big, man. They're really big, um, and and they're you know they're four stars and or in one case a five star. Like yeah, man. Well, let's see him. You know, I I, 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 I want at the very least I want to know what's going on. You know, like uh, you know if it's just straight up they're not ready, then that's fine. I I'd like somebody to tell me that. You know, I don't think that that's even the case. I just think that it's at least in Chris Hudson's case, we just upgraded so massively at that position over a year ago um that like the the bar to to break into this rotation is probably the highest it's ever been mm-hmm. um and so with that being said like in with when you have a quarterback who's experienced like you, you have to trust guys to be able to be in the right spot and i think that the four guys that are playing right now um not only are they the most talented in the room but i think that they're consistently probably the the most dependable in regards to um making the right reads on the field blocking and and some of the other more nuanced parts of the position. Well, it's just that, you know, a a lot of times what I've noticed about a lot of the teams that Oregon plays in this conference is that the corner, like just because it's the West coast is that the cornerbacks are much better in coverage than the safeties are. Um, In fact, I think that was true of Stanford, Um, like a kind of like pet theory that I have that no one's going to notice. Stanford's going to finish with a garbage uh, uh, level defense overall. And so no one's going to notice this except for the film reviewer. Uh, But like, I actually think that that Stanford's two cornerbacks, uh, uh, Colin Wright and Zaron Manley, are going to wind up, you know, having pretty good grades uh at the end of the year which would like nobody's going to be more surprised than that than me because like they didn't play it all last year it's like kind of crazy um for that to be the case but anyway like um 
like and and you could actually see it on the film too that Oregon was sort of avoiding other than a couple of comeback routes like they were kind of avoiding throwing against the corners they were you know throwing against the middle of the field and like I sure would like um you know given that that's sort of the archetype in the Pac-12 to have like you know halfway decent corners but just like trash coverage in the middle of the field like yeah man i sure would like to have some like slot burners just torch some safeties you know on like the post you know some some skinny i mean that's what gary bryant did in 2021 for usc i mean nobody was watching that film either because like you know 2021 usc was the you know with the laugher year when when helton got fired but like oh my god it was just hilarious watching gary bryant just torch safety after safety after safety on the skinny post and like, and, and playing him at X, like not, not that he's, you know, terrible at it. And in Oregon is not misusing him nearly as badly as Clay Helton or, or actually it wasn't Clay Helton. Clay Helton mismanaged the wide receiver room, which created the situation that then Dante Williams was forced into to speak more accurately. Uh, but like dude is just too short, you know, like taller cornerbacks are just able to knock the ball down. Um, well, he also gets rerouted pretty easily yeah. too. Like I, yeah. that's been another issue. And so get, being able to have him inside where he can have free releases. The one good thing is, is that a lot of times we're operating with two slot receivers because we like to nub the tight end uh, right. to, away from the strength. So they're, they're still, we're still getting them some of that stuff, but I a hundred percent agree with you. And I think, um, what was the he had, he had a post that he caught last week at Stanford, I believe that was from the yeah. interior. Yeah. Um, so yeah, because they they on that one they they had Holden on the outside. Um, yeah, it was great, and he, uh, that that clip was in my article that I wrote up, uh, which Doug assiduously read, right, Doug? And, uh, and I usually and, read them. Uh, and affirmative. Uh, uh, thanks, Doug. Uh, it, yeah, it was a gorgeous catch because Gary Bryant's a super talented receiver. Um. And, uh, and, and Lincoln Riley was a fool to chase him off campus, uh, uh, in, in favor of Mario Williams, who he's, is not as talented as Gary Bryant. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, all the organs gain. Um, and yeah, have, playing him on the inside, I, I'd love to see that. And I would love to see that combined with Julian Dickey. Oh my God. I want to see it. Where is he? Yeah, I think it's coming. I don't. I think that they're going to use this bye week as an opportunity to get him up to speed um, and hopefully get him more involved. Um, your your mouth to Uncle Phil's ears, right? <laughs> Doug, do you have any thoughts? Um, no, I think you guys covered the receivers pretty well. Do you want to move on to the backs? Obviously, um, you know, Bucky Irving, the, the primary ball carrier, Noah Whittington started the season as the, the secondary primary ball carrier. Obviously, he's out for the year now. And then Jordan James, who kind of started as the, the two back or three back, depending on how you want to count, uh, who's now been. It definitely appears that as of the Stanford game, at least, it's, it's not going to continue to be a three back rotation. It's just going to tighten down to a two back rotation, which I. I think it makes a ton of sense if, if they don't feel like Lamar or Dowdell is up to above the line, as Dan likes to say, then it's not like splitting carries between um, Bucky Irving and, and Jordan James is like going to wear either one of them out. Like their workload's still pretty small. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's room if they wanted to put, uh, you know, one of the other running backs in. Uh you know, I, uh, I guess I, I, I don't know that that one's cast in stone yet, but that ha- you are correct. That is what they did against Stanford. Um, 
interestingly, in terms of uh, uh, in terms of success rate uh, on a per touch basis, uh, James is outperforming Irving. Uh, like the 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 plays in which James gets touches have a seventy one point four percent success rate. The plays in which Irving gets touches have a sixty two point five percent success rate. So that that's not really the best metric of how good a back is. It's just funny that like. You know, I'm not surprised by that at all, though. Like I, I from the beginning of the season, I was calling for James to get more touches, um, it, not not it, in the it, way that he's ending up going to get them, obviously not wanting that. But yeah. it's a I think he's I think he's really good. I, I also think he's very good. Um, it's just an accident of when the blocking shows up and when it doesn't. Uh, it, but the uh, uh, also has to do with uh, who's getting passes thrown to them. Um, but the. Uh, 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 the, 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 yeah, James is excellent. Like there's no, the, at the very least, what I'm trying to say is there's no drop off. It's not like, oh no, the second back is in, well, you know, better, you know, gird yourself for a three yard carry. Like, nope, <laughs> nothing like that. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he's doing a great job. Uh, almost to the point where like, I, I don't really know what to say. Like, you know, his, his pathing is excellent. He knows how to bend it just right. Like Oregon has a couple of, um, what I get, what I code on my tally sheet is Pibo plays or press in bounce out plays. And like his pathing on those in order to get the linebacker to bite inside so that then he can break their ankles when he bounces, uh, is just excellent. Just very crisp. Uh, I really dig watching him run. Yeah. I'm a huge Jordan James fan. I actually think Bucky's a more flashy runner. I think that in terms of like run instincts and just uh, his his change of pace and his ability to uh, to to play that three D chess where he's really manipulating people before they even know they're being manipulated because he's he's setting up blocks two or three steps early. He's cutting off blocks two or three steps early. I think that James is actually the better runner of the two, mm-hmm. um, but Bucky does some pretty fantastic things in space, and he's also like uh, like you stealing one from Mario, he's a bowling ball of butcher knives to get on the ground. Like you, he's you are going to earn a tackle against Bucky Irving. If you want to tackle Bucky Irving, you better bring your hard hat. You better bring everything you got because he's it's not going to be an arm tackle that gets it done, and it, it better be a very well hearted um, wrap up tackle to get him on the ground as well. Uh, yeah, all that's definitely backed up on my tally sheet. You know that that y- your y- your observation is 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 accurate uh, certainly, and uh, and it it's like a substantial number of runs. You know, I have coded as Yakko on my tally sheet, uh, meaning he converts. Um, what would if he went down on initial contact? It would have been a failed play but then it is a successful play because of his second effort you know to 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 play through the contact um he has a substantial number of such plays um and like you know way to go he's also quite an improvisational runner um like which is like incredible like when when he makes it work like i mean there's nobody in the conference at this point i've seen other backs you know for other schools um uh, with this school skill as well i I don't want to make him out as like the only guy who's ever done this like arizona had like three backs at once under rich rod who had this skill that was was just like crazy because he had like terrible blockers but like the backs were 
insane. Um, but like at this point in 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 the year of our Lord twenty twenty three, Bucky Irving is the best back in the Pac twelve at like making up a run. Um, and, and like yo, that wasn't how that was drawn up. But like oh, you got like thirty yards on it. Okay. Um, on the other hand, like it is occasionally to his detriment, like uh, like occasionally I have on my tally sheet, I just write down like, could you run behind the blockers, Buck? Like, uh, you know, like, could you follow the pullers on this play? Like, you know, you, you got four yards. Good for you. It was 20 yards if you ran behind the puller, like, uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, it's it's the risk you take. But sometimes when he abandons the, his pathing he's still able to make tremendous plays. And that's just, that's the the game you play when you have Bucky Irving. And I'm totally fine with him getting 50% of the carries in the current setup with that in mind, because I know Jordan James is always going to be on the correct path. Um, and that's why I actually really trust James more in those short yard situations. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there was a run early in the season, the fourth down that got stuffed against uh, Texas Tech. That where, is exactly the play that I am talking about. Where, yeah, where, where Noah Whittington just completely goes and brought improves improvisational um bounces it and completely misses an easy first down by just staying on the right track uh yeah i'm but but at this point i mean we're talking about just an incredible running back room where we're like i'm i'm trying to figure out something to to talk about (laughs) you know like i mean i wouldn't trade this running back room for any other in the pac-12 with you like no no, not even close no no and i think it's set up for the future too because i think that both the freshman backs i mean in garbage time i know you're not charting that but they've uh, anecdotally they've looked really impressive in that in those opportunities yeah i know um i mean i I think actually lamar has has gotten a couple of technically non non garbage time carries just not enough for me to you know to to throw in for the grades um uh but like yeah no i i think it's very well set up it's certainly very talented room um you know in in like i said you know all systems are green you know in terms of uh you know where it's coming out uh you know doing the quantitative analysis uh you know, absolutely no complaints. Oh, uh, and their blocking grades are pretty good. Uh, uh, you know, not, not that, the, you know, the pressure has really ever gotten home enough for them to, for that to be required. Uh, but like on the rare occasion in which it has, like they, they've done pass protection. Well, you know, no complaints there either. Give me more 21 personnel, please, 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 please. We actually have not seen uh, a, any, 21 personnel this year was it it 20 yeah we've seen 20 but not 21 i got you that's fine too i don't care i just want two backs i love i love the stuff that we've run out of two backs so far this year um and i want to see more of it uh uh yeah no i i I like seeing running blocks blocking for running backs like the fraternity of that it's like yeah solidarity well also like that's a really tough personnel grouping to to match right like are you gonna play nickel against that like you probably should yeah um but then we're absolutely should and there are a number of defenses that uh stupidly will go to their you know three four whatever configuration yeah yeah so i think i think it's another opportunity to create mismatches exactly right and that's why i want to see more of it all right anything more we want to touch on on the offensive side of the ball or no, I'm ready to summarize the defense. It's much better than last year. What do you think, Doug? What do you think, uh, Hifflede? <laughs> Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with that. All right, we are back, and we're going to talk about 
what in many ways is the more interesting side no offense to the offense which is is obviously playing at an extremely high level but given i think a much greater improvement from last season to this season on the defensive side of the ball it's more interesting to me to talk about that in, in this thing also a lot, of, a lot more roster turnover there so why don't we dig into the defensive side um qb you want to give some high level thoughts or you want to kick it over to hit today first uh, I'm just really pleased with the development of this group. And I think that what we've done in the transfer portal and the secondary, well, I, I think it's two part it's transfer portal, but it's also internal development because Jaleel Florence is playing the best football of his career, his young career already. Uh, Kyrie Jackson is improving massively week over week. Evan Williams is in my opinion, probably the best safety we've had since Javon Holland. Um, and Tysheem Johnson has been like, quite frankly, outside of, uh, a couple of poor matchups against a six, nine tight end against tech, really really good as well so even guys Dante like Steve well. Stevens yeah Dante's playing better football Nico had his best game of the season so far last week uh Steve Stevens even is playing like well above the level that I had come to expect from him uh Hitler, what are your thoughts about, about the secondary uh, I I like the way that you phrased that about Stevens um he's <laughs> about to disagree with you uh, <laughs> uh, uh he, he just doesn't grade out that well uh for me but he's better than you expected i can't argue with that um well my expectations were incredibly low yeah so there you go um but uh, yeah otherwise yes the secondary all grades out very very well um for me uh, is yeah each of those individual players um yeah well, uh, zero, zero complaints uh uh I, the you know as we discussed in the off season uh, and as I, i've written a couple of article about the mintification of this defense uh uh you know has accelerated uh pretty significantly um uh for those who may not be quite aware i'll, I'll give a brief uh, refresher uh the, the 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 point of the mint defensive structure is that the pass hurts you more than the run in modern college football and so they sort of convert as many players as possible to being primarily pass players uh you know pass defenders um and uh and they try to uh you know the the the, the primary responsibility within the structure of the defense is to drop back and play the pass of you know sort of first and firm, firm foremost um and uh and that the the but in order to not get completely torched by the run you compensate for you know uh backing out so many of the members of the defense into pass coverage by having enormous uh but fewer dudes uh in the defensive front uh you know you know on the defensive line uh I, who are you know clogging up all those gaps and spilling the run to the outside and then all those dudes who you backed out into pass coverage um expecting it to be a pass most of the time uh and, and trying to cover like intermediate and short passing because that's how in modern college football teams are converting third downs not by running the ball which is how they were doing it like 30 years ago but by you know little short passes and screens and etc uh which like now that's how you what you have to shut down in order to get off the field in third down and that's why you need a like a mint type of philosophy um in order to get off the field well if they are actually going to run the ball then you have to spill the run and all those dudes who you backed out into pass coverage need to say aha it actually is a run this time well they need to come screaming down uh and and kill that run that's been spilled to the outside so like those are all the qualities that i am looking for i'm looking for like good uh pass coverage out of uh you know not just the defensive backs but the inside and uh even the outside linebackers who have to drop into coverage uh uh you know i am looking for and i am looking for uh the interior of the defensive line um to be you know not just get penetration i'm looking 
for that in any defensive structure, but also for them to be like good run pluggers, uh, you know, who, who, or cloggers uh, who spill the run. And then I am also third thing that I am looking for is I am looking for, uh, you know, all those those past defenders that I mentioned uh, to 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 recognize when it is a run, come down and kill the run so that it doesn't like, you know, so I'm fine with you giving up like three or four yards for a run. And so is this defensive staff. They sort of made their peace with the fact that, you know, that that's what, you know, you, can, you can't do everything, you know, and what they made their peace with is that like, okay, giving up three or four yards a run. If somebody wants to try to like, you know, uh, uh, pins and needles me to death three yards at a time, they're never going to win a game that way. Uh, but what I don't want to do is give up like five or six yards uh, on runs. And, and in order to prevent that, I need all those past defenders to come screaming down and kill that running back uh, when he, when he spills outside. So that's the third thing that I'm looking for. And on all three of those questions, uh, uh, all systems green, you know, for, 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 for personnel evaluation, all of those guys are doing all the three things that I was looking for in the mintification of the defensive structure at a very high level. And, and, and so I am pleased. Yeah, I agree. And uh, the only issue that I've had, and it was earlier in the season, we haven't seen it much because teams haven't really ran at us as effectively um, since the Tech game, is I don't think the linebackers were doing a great job of actually spilling all the time. Or, or, or sorry, of scraping over the top every time. Yes. Um, and some of our younger edge players weren't doing a great job of consistently spilling. So yes. seeing those things get straightened out, um, I think will be the remedy to the run game because I know in some of the advanced metrics the run game is looking worse or the run defense is looking worse than it actually probably there's, is there okay so here's there's a funny thing about the run okay uh, fine let's talk about the run game the, the past the past defense is very 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 exciting um I, I guess we'll save that though um let me talk about the run grade grades um because they're bad but they're also really good um Here's what I've got on my tally sheet for for how I grade things. Um, they are operating at a 53.7% defensive success rate, meaning the opposing offenses are succeeding on uh, 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 46.3% of their plays, uh, run plays, designed run plays. Uh, by the way, in case anybody doesn't like know this, uh, that, you know, when, 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 because all of this is charting based, I am excluding from designed runs, like things like quarterback sacks and scrambles, like uh, they're really in, in like RPO screens and other things. Like when I say designed runs, like you can trust me, I really just mean designed runs. Um, uh, so anyway, 53.7% defensive success rate, uh, you know, so above average, that's good, but it's not elite. Um, it's, uh, yeah, uh, they are, uh, but they are only allowing 4.7 yards uh, per carry adjusted, which is a good number. Um, and they are uh, only allowing 11% uh, of opposing runs to gain 10 plus yards, um, which is a very, very good number. Um, so it's like they're, they're sort of... Th they're they're above average but not elite um at stopping efficiency runs but they're doing an excellent job at containing the amount of yards that you get on said runs um now uh to diving in a little bit more uh uh here's the funny thing even though i am a huge 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 advocate of using per play data um and 
uh, and using advanced stats and not raw stats, I actually think this is one of the very few circumstances in which raw stats actually capture what's going on better. Why is that? The reason is the two opponents who actually ran the ball at Oregon, because Hawaii and Colorado didn't run the ball at Oregon. I mean, like not at all. Hawaii, you know, ran, I think four times prior to garbage time and Colorado ran twice, you know, so it's like you were not getting any data from them. The two opponents who ran were Texas Tech and Stanford. Texas Tech and Stanford both busted out new types of run plays, particularly quarterback run plays uh, uh, against Oregon at the beginning of the game that they had not shown on previous film before. And it took Oregon a little bit of time to adjust and figure out, you know, how to stop those things. And in the meantime, you know, uh, you know, while they were doing that, you know, and, and the linebackers were figuring out how to scrape over and figure it out. And I put clips in my articles recapping those games, explaining like, here's where, the, you know, they were getting fooled. Like in Texas Tech, they would have this diamond formation and the uh to the which of course defines the strong side and the linebacker would be tempted to go over towards the strong side because like i'm supposed to help cover those dudes and then the quarterback would run to the weak side because like of course he would right and so then but then later in the game you know the light bulb comes on and they're like wait a minute i know where this is going now the instant you put that diamond formation on the field i know exactly where the quarterback's going to go and betcher or sole or whoever would just immediately go right to the weak side and, and blow that dude up right you know, it's like, aha, adjustment. Um, and, and and Stanford had, well, read my article. I, I put a bunch of examples in it. But basically, they get them all shut down. You know, they, they, they don't need like a week of film study to figure out your runs. They just need to watch you do it like once or twice, you know, when they figure it out. But and and here's the other thing it's just quarterback runs that are killing them. Here's some numbers. Um, uh, buckle up. Uh, uh, Oregon has faced, uh, you know, outside of garbage time, uh, designed uh, runs from running backs 29 times. Uh, those are averaging uh, 3.45 yards per carry. They have uh, uh, gotten a cumulative 100 yards precisely, right? Tw 29 runs, 100 yards, 3.45 yards per carry. That's really good really good running backs are not running against Oregon very well at all uh gr great job guys Quarterback. And, and also when you think about our our defensive structure not to interrupt you Hithalay because I think this is where you're going please with this. you're going to make an excellent point so yeah do it when you think about our defensive structure we're, we're already trying to do more with less in terms of bodies that we're de dedicating to the box in the run game when they run the quarterback there they are gaining an additional body count advantage on us on the front and we're willingly surrender surrendering that right um in order to stay in a too high shell right well that, if, that... If, if if washington and usc want to design quarterback power uh, to run against us yeah yeah, again, yeah exactly. like, please please do that please yeah i mean I, I don't wish injuries on michael Penix. lord knows that guy has been through no i just mean i'd rather yeah. have them doing that than, yeah. than dropping back and throwing the well ball. i just mean like they're just not going to do it uh is all i'm saying um Okay, so again, running backs have carried the ball on designed runs against Oregon 29 times. You want to guess how many times on designed, again, excluding sacks and scrambles, designed quarterback runs Oregon has faced this year? Any any takers? Designed quarterback runs? Yep. About the same number. Probably more. I think because Stanford, I mean, Chuck had what, 24 carries it against was a, us? Well, they have 22 carries, but some of those were sacks and, and right. scrambles. Uh, the I, number I is 25. 
25 25 okay so almost almost the same you know amount uh uh, quarterbacks on designed runs have have a cumulative 133 yards for for 5.32 yards per carry so that's you know that's over the line of like hey that's less good you know that's that's that starts to be concerning okay so here's the interesting thing though it's all in first halves against texas tech and stanford uh because what happens oregon figures them out and they shut them down uh in the in the second half uh uh against texas tech uh uh uh, they switched to be a pass heavy offense uh they they only run the ball nine times and they only get 36 yards on those nine runs it's almost all running back runs uh you know they they just quit it you know because uh because oregon solved it right and same thing with stanford oregon solved it um and, and and they just quit and that's why the per play data looks bad is they they didn't give oregon a chance to win their money back they 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 got up ahead and they went they got up and left the table or it's like uh uh you know, and remember, Texas Tech had the lead, right? If it were actually the case that Oregon had a vulnerability to runs and Texas Tech had the lead, then what they should have done and what they would have done is they would have continued to run the ball. The fact that they went to a pass-heavy offense, which I I can't possibly be making that up. You can go look at the play-by-play if you don't believe me. The fact that they went to a pass-heavy system despite having the lead and despite being effective in the first half running the ball is all the indication that you should need that that in fact they were acknowledging that Oregon had solved their surprise quarterback run scheme and were like, well, the jig is up, right? And, or and it's even like, the yeah, sorry. Go go ahead, Doug. I'm, I was just say even even the the court the the successful runs that Shuck had in the second half were primarily scrambles out of a passing, you know a passing play they were, uh there they were, i mean he had two of those and, and i mean he did have one designed run but it was that fourth down sneak that oregon stuffed and and we got that you know great gif of yeah. landing making this sniffy face uh <laughs> you know it's so anyway that's why i said like this is one of the very few circumstances in which i think the raw stats actually capture it better because raw stats will just give you the number of running yards that oregon has given up in which they're like i think 27th ranked in the country you know because it's like opponents don't want to run against Oregon, which is like, yeah, of course not. They they don't want to go up against the wall. Or it's like it's like it, it's like uh, it's like in Star Trek when when you, you know in Star Trek when they would beam over to the Borg cube and like George and, and all the Borg drones would have like their their magical shields that would d- d- deflect the phaser fire, but Jordy would come up with some magic way to like oh, oh mar- modulate the harmonics on the phaser so that we'll get a couple of shots off to you know and that's you know inevitably something goes wrong and they they're like oh oh no that you know, shit's going down we got to kill some drones and so they fire and but they only like take out a couple of guys and then they'll like they say the four scariest words in the Star Trek galaxy which are the Borg have adapted right and, and like their shields all kick up and now suddenly their phasers are useless oh, oh, we better get the hell out of here right and they quit firing the phaser shots at the Borg right they you know they get back yeah. and they all no, beat back a, I, that's right I got you I got your analogy it, it, you know last no. last episode we talked about the, the Frodo Baggins and Tyrion Lannister and now yeah I know I, Trek, I your so entire we're, we're hitting it yeah. yeah exactly are all, all nerds I, I got to we're hitting the fantasy genre <laughs> hard sci-fi <laughs> fantasy if, like if, if, Lieutenant, if Lieutenant Worf went to Captain Picard and said, you know, good news, Captain, 
the we we the the number of drones that we took out divided by the number of phaser shots that we fired is a very high ratio like i mean technically that's a true fact right uh if on the other hand though he followed that up with the extrapolation <laughs> that like therefore our phasers are super effective against the borg that's like that's a totally erroneous conclusion right the phasers are super ineffective against the borg you know it's only true because you kept the denominator really small because you quit firing them at them once they're once they had adapted right so like all i'm saying is that, is that is that if within an hour of this podcast going up legalized quack has not made a gif of like tosh lapoy is lucutus uh i'm gonna be very disappointed yeah, so, so just to declare to our listeners, the, the Borg this is this analogy awesome. is the Oregon Ducks defense. They are the Borg. Um, <laughs> and also, I think that would be more like Lieutenant Data spouting off those analytics numbers and not Worf, but your point's taken. Hmm. Or Commander okay. Data, I guess it was. Yeah, I don't know. He's a Lieutenant I Commander. I don't, yeah. I don't know that you want that smoke, Doug. I think that Hitler knows Star Trek better than you. <laughs> mm. Probably true. Anyway, uh, I'm just saying. I think it's. I think it's a, a illusory. I think that Oregon's run defense is actually very good, and that uh, you know they 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 got sandbagged by te Texas Tech's playbook, you know, which they were willing to take a loss to Wyoming to in order to keep under wraps. And then Oregon actually adjusted very very well, and they adjusted very well against Stanford as well. And if you doubt me about that, read my article. I illustrated with extensive video clips and discussions, uh, you know, uh, about these things. I, I think, you know, and as you say, Doug, I, I think if teams want to take on uh, Oregon by running their quarterback at them, I think that that would be, I I don't think that that Oregon would be, would be just fine with that. At, ask, uh, ask Stanford's quarterback how that went because yeah, <laughs> the, the one who, who got beat up or the one who got beat out. I mean, I mean they, they both, took they, both got, but, like, they both got smoked a lot though. Yeah. I mean, like Evan Williams was squaring guys up in that game and it was not pretty. <laughs> and like the, the one thing I'll say, and this is a little bit more anecdotal just from, from film review is um, I think our linebackers are way, way, way more effective in pass in, past defense than they were a year ago yeah. uh but yes I, well, but I yeah we, we talked about the past stuff separately yeah yeah sure but, but i also am, i'm a little bit concerned at times with like when when guys are able to climb to the second level which to be honest with you is not particularly often for for opposing offensive lines because well yeah because the defense is so good that, i mean that's what they have to that that's the bargain that's the mint defensive bargain is that yeah. you need to get defensive line players who are so big that 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 offensive linemen can't get off their combos and up to the second level because their hands are so full with with giant ass Popo Amavai and Taki Taimani and Casey Rogers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And 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 Ware Hudson and and Brandon Dorless and all those great guys, you know, at the middle that they can't get up to your skinny ass uh, uh, pass defending yep. linebackers, because if they do, yeah, they're in trouble. Because they're skinny ass pass defending linebackers. But you know what though, I what I've seen from Jamal Hill specifically, and also Bassa, but Hill more so. I think it's a more uh, a more drastic improvement week over week. Is he's starting to read things faster, and so he's not getting caught oh. in the what? Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, he's, he's 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 reading things faster. He's not getting caught in the mess as much, um, and so he's scraping over the top faster, making a lot of plays. Um, but I, I don't like either of these backers. I'm primarily speaking with about the two guys that play the most snaps in Bass and Hill. 
um, taking on blocks, but I know that Justin Jacobs uh, will be an improvement in that arena. Uh, and I actually think he'll be a really, really good uh, run and chase player um, scraping over the top of those spill- spills I, from the defensive end. Um, go ahead. I am very sure that he will be a good run and chase player and, and, and a good scrape, but that's just his build. That's just his experience when he was at Iowa in 2021. He, he missed the 2022 season with an injury. Um, I am not like if you're looking for an up the middle run, you know, stopper. Oh, right. Sure, that's exactly. That's much more Soleil's bag. Like I, I don't. If you're looking for a guy, it's just sort of like, oh, we're facing a team where we need a Noah Sewell type, uh, in order to stop this run. But thank God Justin Jacobs is coming back because he's going to be, you know, Oregon's Noah Sewell replacement. Like I don't think. I, I don't think so. When I look at his body type, I just don't think that the and when I watched his tape at Iowa, that's just not what he was playing. He was playing a Sam and a four three. Like yeah. that's just not what he was but doing. He is he is stronger that he's bigger than these guys and he's better. I mean, better. yeah, he's six four, but he's he's built like a, a praying mantis. You know, he's not built like a fire hydrant. No, hundred percent. But I've also seen him stack and shed blocks at a high level at Iowa because everyone at Iowa stacks and sheds blocks at a high level. Um Wow, we've we've talked about Iowa twice already today. What's going on with me? Well, yeah, by um, the way, we need to work in a Taylor Swift reference or two, and to get our Swifty count up on our listeners. yeah, we get some right. for the SEO marketing. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> but in, right. in general, in, in general, I I largely agree with you, and I think the defensive line has been playing lights out. And I would I would wager that Jordan Birch is the best edge run defender in the entire conference, and I don't know that it's particularly close. I, I have been I, uh, Jordan Birch has, has now surprised me twice. Um, the first surprise was that I had him penciled in as the new, you know, weeks, the, the, the Jack OLB who'd be, you know, playing, you know, wide, you know, outside and pass rushing. And, uh, and that I thought that he would come down from his, uh, 275 weight at South Carolina and, and, you know, slim down to be a, a speedy, speedier, uh, a pass rusher. And instead he bulked up, you know, and is really playing like a defensive end at 290. Um, and I was like, Oh, I don't like this, um, like at all, like he looks big and I don't want big, I want skinny and fast. Um, but then surprise number two is like, Oh my, he's very good. <laughs> um, he like not. <laughs> Not at the role that I was expecting him to play, but like at this other role, like yeah, he was really good at that. Um, you know, so like the article that I write or I wrote about Jordan Birch is like almost completely pointless um, at this point, which is a shame because I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, but like, yeah, he's really good. Uh, yeah, man. Like, I, I'm not even really comfortable calling him an edge because like I don't really think that he's he's more. I'm. I'm actually sort of uncomfortable describing where exactly he plays on the line. It's sort of become like this positionless. I got you. I can tell you exactly what he's playing. All right. Go back, go back to your film review of Dan Lanning at Georgia in the 2021 season. He's okay. playing Trayvon Walker's role. He's playing exactly uh, what Trayvon okay. Walker Okay. Okay. Hmm. So that, like, that, so like switching between three and four. Well, no, Trayvon Walker would play, he would play standing up in a seven sometimes, but a lot of times he would play a five, right? Mm-hmm. And that's and that's primarily like like Birch is not playing inside of a four eye, but he'll play four eye all the way out to a seven. Um, and like we've seen him rush off the edge. I mean, he's, he's, re- he's leading the team in sacks right now with one pass rush move, the bull rush. And it's funny because the guy he replaced only had one pass rush move. <laughs> exactly. And a bull rush, but he's not as good. DJ Johnson wasn't as good at it as as Birch is, and he also wasn't nearly as disciplined 
or as tough of a run defender. I, I mean, do Bert- think actually that aspect of my Birch article still holds up because he didn't get fat in the head. Like he's a smart dude. Um, like in, like three of the eight film compilations that I put in my article about him is just how smart he is. And like, yeah, uh, yeah like definitely he also appreciate- has heavy hands. He's got cinder blocks for hands. Like when, when he takes on blocks, guys' shoulders are rocking back, right? Like he's, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about when you watch this defensive line, you know, all the way through from 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 edge to edge, you know, including the the guys in the middle and and the noses, just like this line is big. Uh, It is. I mean, I wouldn't trade this defensive line for even though there's a bunch of freshmen on it. Like, I don't care. Like the freshmen are better than nuts. Like, (laughs) you know, purchase and Uyangale and 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 Winston and Tuiati. And I mean, like they're in even we haven't seen him that much, but even green uh, like I I mean, his future is bright. Like Washington, too. Yeah. uh, I mean, just a little bit of him outside of garbage time. But well, yeah, that's another guy whose future is bright. I'm missing a couple guys. Hell, Jake Shipley's played a hell of a lot better than I thought he would. We were kind of making fun of him in the offseason. Like, why isn't he transferred out? Well, he showed us why he didn't transfer out, right? Like, he's he's been playing very well. Like, uh, you know, like this line is big. I would not trade this line for anybody in the Pac-12. It's not even close. Like, yeah, man, like, are there a couple of edge rushers throughout the sprinkled throughout the Pac-12 that I, you know, might like to get? Yeah. Uh, you yeah, know, who, who like, yeah, like speed rushers, you know, like, uh, sure. Um, but like, yeah, like across the board, like you aren't going to find any, like just in terms of size and, and not just like size, like, you know, 300 pound, you know, like boulders, but that's all you are like, I mean, like usable mass, like, I mean, just terrifying golems of, yeah, just like, yeah, I mean, it's incredible. And, and, and just how deep it is too, you know, like, you know, we just spent all that time talking about, you know, Birch, you, you know, who else they got Brandon Dorless, who is also like an enormous 290 pound positionless Trayvon Walker type, you know, like who they've had since 2019 is going to the NFL and is going to get paid, you know, like my, the thing my that goodness. I like about Dorless is that we're actually playing him at his natural position now, right? Like he's only rushing from the interior primarily. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's crazy how much more effective he is. Uh, the one thing that I've noticed with film film study on Dorless is that like, he he really feasts on guys with short arms. Like if you get if you put yeah. somebody with short arms in front of him, you put some T Rex arms uh, in front of Brandon Dorless, he's going to eat him alive. And that is why I cannot wait to play Washington because their entire uh, interior offensive line uh, is T Rex arms. They're they're really having some issues with their interior offensive well, line. Let's right? save that. All right. Unless we're ready to move on, are we ready? To move on? Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, uh, groups to talk. Yeah, about. Let's take another quick break. And then we'll... past... All right. All right, yeah. we'll take a quick break and we'll talk about pass defense. All right, and welcome back to the QB11 show. I'm here with QB, of course, and Hithelday is joining us. Doug, thank review. you for uh, tailoring that swift transition uh, oh, to the pass defense. But he's not a rapper. Uh, okay. The pass defense has been excellent um like really excellent it it has definitely been you know the biggest improvement on the team uh uh, from last year uh here uh being very clear i'm about to read the 2022 uh uh uh, past defense numbers for comparison okay so 2022 past defense numbers uh 54 defensive uh success rate 
uh, seven yards per play uh, pass attempt surrendered, uh, a 13% uh, explosiveness. So they were pretty good at limiting uh, your uh, the amount of yards you were getting and how explosive you were allowed to be in, in the pass game. So, you know, seven yards per pass surrendered is pretty good. 13% explosiveness surrendered is pretty good, but only 55% defensive success rate, you know, means that teams were able to convert third downs. That was the primary way that teams were converting third downs and Oregon had a third down problem last year, right? So now switching over to the 2023 numbers so far, uh, First of all, they have come down even more on the yards per play and explosiveness numbers to, to numbers that I never thought that I would see. Uh, they're down to 11.3% uh, explosiveness, which is like incredible to keep a team that uh, opponents that low, considering that they have played Texas Tech, which loves to throw the ball deep, Hawaii, who only throws the ball deep, Colorado, uh, who has maybe the third or fourth best quarterback in the Pac-12 uh, and Stanford, who like uh, like a majority, I'm not joking about this, 51% of their yards come on 9% of their plays because the only way they ever move the ball down the field is on 40 plus yard plays, right? So they, you know, like all they play are teams that want to throw, that, that they get, that, you know, that they get deep shots and Oregon is completely shut down deep shots. 11.3%, you know, even better than last year. And they were very good last year, you know, and, and yards per play five or yards per pass attempt, 5.2, 5.2, 2 yards per pass attempt, which actually really means that the, it's a ton of incomplete passes, um, which is like, Hey, I'll take incomplete passes. That's great. Um, now here's the really stellar number though uh, uh again uh to, to repeat uh uh, uh, defensive success rate against the pass in 2022 was 55%. Defensive uh, success rate against the pass in 2023 so far is 66%. Championship caliber is 60%. So not only did they improve 9%, they cleared the championship caliber bar by six percentage points. Like, holy cow. Like, that's, I mean, holy cow. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's the Mint defensive. That's, that's Dan Lanning. That's the Mint defense. They did it. They did it. Or they've done it through two and a half games worth of film. But against teams that love to throw the ball. Uh, in, in Colorado's case, that only threw the ball. Uh, like 66% against efficiency passing. We're in the modern college football. That's, that's how teams, like I was saying earlier, that's how teams convert third downs. Right. They, they don't run the ball at you on third and three. Like I was just I, I just been doing Washington tape. I know Doug just squashed us uh, when I tried when when QB tried to talk about Washington. But like there's a bunch of plays in which it's third and three and it's like run the dang ball as as a former coach of theirs used to say. Right. But now they don't say that. You know, now they're allergic to that. Right now on third and three, they throw interceptions uh, because they can't run the ball. Uh, uh, I'm not joking about that. They literally threw their second interception of the year on a third and three because they couldn't, you know, nut up 
and run the ball. Uh, 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 so yeah, teams want to uh, uh, throw the ball. They throw it short. How do you stop short passes? You run the mint uh, defensive structure. Oregon has uh, effectively implemented the mint def- defensive structure. They are stopping efficiency passing. They are doing so at a 66% success rate, a 9% <laughs> improvement over last year when they also had a mint defensive structure like and many of the same personnel. Like That comes down to just like getting better at being yourself uh, and, and, and improving your personnel group in other areas, uh, you know, through, through effective roster management, which is also an article that I wrote in the offseason. And that people who were come from dumber fan bases were pointing and laughing at Oregon for like, look at all their personnel transition. This, these guys are there have a culture problem and, and other delusional things that come from stupid people who are arguing in bad faith. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. Yeah, those teams didn't have a nine percentage point improvement in their uh, 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 pass uh, defense efficiency. Uh, so you know, you can you you, you know they, they they can all go to hell. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, incredible, just incredible. Cook, cook, um, cook, cook. Yeah, cook. no, I I think everything you said is incredible, and you know, I think the argument that a lot of people will make as well, you know, they haven't played great competition, and and I. And sure, that's true. They definitely uh, although, play teams that only want to throw the ball, though. I, I, I know, I know. And the other thing I would say is, you can you can compare what those teams have done against everyone else, and versus what they've done against Oregon, right? Like Colorado has thrown for 400 yards on everybody they played, and then Oregon held them to 190, uh, 100 of which were in garbage time. So uh, Texas I, I, Tech is the 29th ranked, you know, uh, offense uh, in in F plus like their uh, yeah. uh, Washington hasn't played any offense that's better than that. Uh, uh, Wazoo. Uh, well, they played Oregon State's offense, but, you know, I'll be a monkey's uncle if they actually have the 17th best offense and they definitely don't have the 17th best passing offense from <laughs> DJ. Uh, uh, USC hasn't played an offense is anywhere close to that. Uh, well, they the, the best offense they played was Colorado, who, you know, you just, as you just said, Doug, uh, let's see Utah. Uh, the best offense they played uh, was it was Oregon State. I just talked about that. Oh, uh, they played UCLA, uh, who has the the twenty fifth best according to uh, F plus. But they have you know the the mismatch of uh, Chip Kelly and Dante Moore, who uh, you know QB nailed that one before we started recording. Um, yeah, yeah, you know Texas Tech's the best offense, like uh, at least you know before Tyler Shuck uh, got injured, which really sucks. This is like the third straight year he's broken a bone. I, I can't can't believe that kid's luck. I like, oh my God. Um, and, 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 and it's selfishly like, this is an awful thing to say, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like it really sucks because it means that their Texas tech is going to look like a worse opponent for Oregon than they really are. Um, and no one's going to acknowledge that. Although I don't know, Baron Morton might turn out to be a good quarterback for them. He certainly has an NFL caliber arm. If he ever gets the butterflies out from between his ears. Anyway, I've been talking for the a good while. thing is it won't really matter if anyone acknowledges it or not. Uh, yeah, I it's, suppose not gonna, not. it's not gonna be the difference between like yeah. getting a CFP berth or not getting a CFP berth. I'm just saying the point. argument that like Oregon hasn't played any good passing offenses is false. Uh, well, I don't think most people who made... make that argument are that nuanced, though. I, they don't they don't distinguish yeah. between not only do they not distinguish between passing offense versus rushing offense, they don't even distinguish between offense and defense. They just say that's I... a bad team. Yeah, well, I, I feel like they're probably not really even arguing in good faith. Uh, no, and- that's true a lot of the times too. That's that's the that's the truest thing that's been said tonight. Um, I 
want to take a moment to talk about the edge players, like the actual edge players. Uh, Jordan Birch is an edge player to me still, but um, I think the, primarily the three true freshmen, Tuyoti, Purchase, and Mateo Uyongalele. Yes. Um, and the contributions that they've made, obviously they don't have all of the sacks, but um, that room being improved, allowing for additional depth that pushes Brandon Dorless inside to his most effective position, rushing from the interior alongside Popo, uh, that group has been fantastic for true freshmen and like seeing the, again, seeing the incremental improvements week over week, it's a well-coached room. Um, and the pass rush is also helping with that, that defensive pass efficiency number that you, that you stated. Uh, in addition uh, to those things, I, I, first of all, I'm very impressed that they're, that it, those things are, are true. Uh, number two, I'm super impressed that those things are true of freshmen. Um, you know, that, that's a bright future. Third thing, uh, 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 it, it ain't just all coming from the edges, you know. Like they're getting sacks from from safeties, corners, from safeties from yeah, exactly from everybody on the field. Everybody on the field gets to get sacks, you know, in this defense. You don't know where it's coming from because, like, that's the other aspect of the mint defensive philosophy is you know simulated pressures, you know, creepers. Uh, you know, uh, you know, Dan Lanning's been on a bunch of podcasts. He talks about the stuff freely. Like he gives away a lot of information. I mean, not like specific, you know, this is what we're going to do in this game, you know, but like he talks freely about, uh, uh, you know, his defensive philosophy and about like, you know, how to, how to keep, uh, you know, offenses off guard and, and, and like, you know, how you circumvent and, uh, and use offensive line, you know, their, their offensive line protection rules against them. Um, um, which is like, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's very edifying and delightful stuff, you know, to listen to. But then you get to see it on film, you know, and just like, oh yeah, you know, that's what he was talking about like three months ago. Yeah, exactly that. Look, look, you, you he he got the right guard to combo over with the center, uh, and and his head turned, and then he didn't see the you know the the safety come down, and that's why they got that sack. Look, that was exactly what he said to that dude, you know, three months ago on that podcast that I listened to. Amazing, you know, like yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it's a, it's pretty impressive, especially considering he didn't call plays at Georgia and Tosh never called plays at Alabama. Um, and they, they were not part of the success of either one of those teams' defenses, um, which is another thing that I've heard. Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you can definitely trust what those folks say on Twitter because they were in the locker rooms um, at those uh, <laughs> uh, universities. No, it's very clear that this is the best like put together and most complex defense that we've had. Um, and the the variety of calls that we're, that we're calling is really impressive that the guys can even ac- execute this much stuff. Um, and, th- and that's without considering the context of how young some of these guys are. The other thing that I uh, want to say, well, well, I guess I'm the Tosh Lapoy fan club. Um, I, I don't actually, I, let me, I, I just said something sarcastic, but I, I want to, uh, I don't understand what the micropolitics are of the defensive staff. Like I really don't, like, I don't know who exactly is calling the plays or who, how they do their weekly game planning or how they do their in game. Or like when I say how, I mean, who is doing the tracking and who is, you know, call, because like everybody in that room is a defensive coordinator, right? Like Dan Lanning was a defensive coordinator. Tosh the is a defensive coordinator. Chris Hampton was a defensive coordinator. 
Alexander, like the co-DCs like last year, uh, uh, Powellage was a co-DC. Like, I don't know how it works. You know, so when I say like, the you know, Tosh Lapoy, I'm, I'm really just saying, you know, that is a stand in for the defensive staff, uh, you know, whoever it is. Uh, so anyway, the defensive staff, whoever it is, um, is it is a. I mentioned this already as I, when I was discussing quarterback runs, how like they when, when they get hit in the mouth with like a, some new plays that they do a very good job of adapting, you know, to them and and then shutting them down. Uh, but the other thing that I noticed them doing is like they identify the way the thing that the opponent needs to do in order to win games. And then they show up in the first quarter and take that thing away. You know, that they, they are ready to go now. It's, you know, for example, in the Stanford game, like I think they they actually if you read my article, my recap article about Stanford, you know, one of the things that I said is that I actually think they went too hard at that in that like they, they went too hard at trying to take away the 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 40 yard uh, play uh, that, 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 you know, w- which was the only way that Stanford would move the ball. And it actually created some opportunities for Stanford to hit some like intermediate, like these really simple hitch routes for like 10 yards. But then, but then, you know, by the end of the first quarter, the defensive staff was like, wait a minute, we don't need to do this, you know, and they adjusted and, and, uh, and, and they sort of like, they cut out some of the more complicated pass rush with a bunch of like loops and stuff. And they were just like, let's just blitz and play man. Um, and they just went straight at the quarterback, uh, and, uh, and they just, you know, played man coverage because they had superior athletes and like, sure enough, they just shut it down just completely shut down you know Stanford's passing and that's why they didn't get anything you know for the rest of the game and it's like and 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 look there are like a million fans on a million message boards every single game day and if you read uh uh like game threads which I generally think is a bad idea uh you know it's like it's filled with a million fans saying like where are the halftime adjustments I demand to see halftime adjustments and it's like look man I'm here to tell you like this staff has been very good at doing like if you are actually seriously in good faith asking me for evidence of halftime adjustments like read my articles i put in two different you know examples of them doing you know halftime adjustments they didn't need to against uh, hawaii or colorado because those games weren't played past halftime but um you know in the other two games like yeah man yeah they totally did like absolutely they did Part of the uh, the effectiveness increase is the guys that you have blitzing now are better athletes who have a better opportunity. They're better open field tacklers, right? So they're, they're guys that aren't going to miss in the backfield. They're not going to whiff. Evan Williams isn't whiffing the backfield. Our linebackers, boss up mm-hmm. Hill. These guys are like Betcher. These guys can play in space. And so we have better blitzers blitzing now than we did a year ago as, as well, which I think contributes because if I had a dollar for every time Noah Sewell had a free run and then just didn't make a play in the backfield last year, yeah. I could I could definitely buy a few five dollar foot longs. Uh oh yeah, no the uh here let me see and pull it up. Yeah, oh yeah. No, my missed tackle rate, you know, across the board, it's well, I mean that's why I was 
Stevens is the only guy who has a significant well and uh, well no that that's not his problem I was about to make fun of Betcher but it, actually when I look at his subdivided grades it's not missed tackles it's that his uh he sticks his nose in like he, he gets a little too excited um and uh but but that's it it's not the tackle problem <laughs> that dude loves tackling um <laughs> he's very exuberant um but yeah no I've got no uh missed tackle grades for uh you know of of the uh let me count uh of the 24 dudes who've gotten substantial run on the defense uh this year 23 of them have uh 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 tackle grades uh above 75 percent um which yeah man that's really good yeah that's a big difference on this defense like the, yeah, the open field tap, tap the speed, when you when you get faster when you get better on the front when you get way more talented in the secondary um, and then you get way better at tackling. It's crazy how much less space there seems to be on the field for offenses to, to yeah. maneuver, which I think um, is a great opportunity for us to transition our conversation to Washington. What do you think, Doug? Wait, wait, one more thing, which is if they're going to add a dude, it's going to be Justin Jacobs. And if there's one thing that I noticed, and I didn't just notice one thing uh, that's good about him. It's that like, yeah. That dude's really good at running dudes down and tackling them. So, like, I'm not worried about that quotient going down. Uh, like, and he's fantastic in coverage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, not yeah, good, 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 good. yeah. So, yeah, good, good. Yeah, good, and good. I, I, I continue to rave about the improvement in tackling on this team as well. I, you know, I obviously looked at the tackle rates and the missed tackle rates on PFF. I don't, I can't say how accurate those are. Um, but but the eye test backs up that the tackling has significantly improved this season over the last several. And from there, we can move on. Washington is the next opponent after the bye week. Obviously, the biggest game of the year so far. Perhaps what will be the biggest game of the year at all. Um, you know, maybe two games. There, it maybe maybe it'll be a rematch in Vegas. That certainly could happen. So. Let's talk about what your chart. I know you've charted all their games this year. What has that led you uh, to see? And then we can get into some back and forth on that. I, I have not actually finished charting uh, all of their games this year. Um, I have done the uh, I've gotten the preliminary charting work done, meaning I, I've corrected all the errors in the play by play, um, which are extensive as we were talking off uh, air about um you know so so i have like the, the accurate preliminary data and i can tell you sort of the 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 the, the stats based on them but I, I still will wind up doing you know some a little bit of correction when i do the, the the actual charting and the player grades and so forth like certain plays will get recategorized um you know I'll, I'll be able to notice like how many passes were done off of scrambles you know i you know stuff like that uh but i can give you the you know the the the, the basic numbers uh uh, from them, uh, many of them are pretty much what you would expect. Uh, you know, I think um, you know the 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 their passing is both you know very efficient and very explosive. Uh, you know, as as you might imagine, um, the uh, uh, um, their run game, you know, not so. Their the run game is you know pretty mediocre. Uh, you know, across the board, it's not bad. It's just mediocre, and they just don't run very often. You know, they pretty much reserve. Uh, um, actually. 
that's not true. I was about to make a comment that was true in 2022, but less so in 2023. In 2022, they reserved running for short yardage situations only, and that's why their rush efficiency was very high because it's like, well, if you only run on second and one, you know, you're going to have a 66% you know success rate in running. But actually, that hasn't been true in 2023. In 2023, they've changed that up. They've been trying to run in on standard downs, and guess what? Uh, they're just mediocre at it. They're they only have like a 50 percent success rate you know they only get about five yards carry uh you know say and they're not really playing very good defenses uh so like i'm um uh yeah i just did like and like the, the obvious takeaway is that you know if they ever run like rpos or anything just like give them run looks don't you know just play the pass um which hey what, what were we talking about the mint defense um uh, their defense is uh well against the d they the, you know as has been the case for as long as i can remember for washington they can't defend the run like at all they're like uh under 40 percent um uh, uh 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 yeah in in uh defense success rate against the run which is really bad like really bad um it presents a pretty obvious defensive or excuse me just overall uh game plan strategy of just play and keep away um uh, you know against them um uh uh, uh and you know it, th- those are bad th- that's a really bad rush uh deficiency efficiency number against teams that don't run the ball very well um like cal uh you know um so like I don't know what Bucky's going to do to him. Um, their past defense has gotten better um, compared to last year. I, th- I think we're, you know, expecting them to get a little bit better, but like it hasn't gotten like leaps and bounds better. They're only 53% efficient against the past, which is, de- you know, you can throw against this team. And, and like that's the, team that you- the other thing there is they haven't faced a quarterback who's even yeah. like yeah, average. Exactly. Yeah. They faced yeah. like five poor quarterbacks yeah exactly and and the thing is i wouldn't say that Tyrion lannister is poor i mean lannisters are known for having substantial amounts of gold i mean that's the best (laughs) offense they played all year um and uh uh yeah the offense that scored 21 against stanford uh yeah that's the best offense they played all year uh they're ranked 30 in f plus stanford's an elite football team all right uh i mean they they have a lot of talent through the they're like the fifth most talented team in the pac 12 which is um, crazy that is <laughs> neat, uh, yeah so anyway like yeah uh, teams that don't have good quarterbacks passed against them on a relatively efficient basis um what is interesting though is that they have been getting a number of interceptions and that's what's really um it sets up their offense um uh to to do a lot of damage and makes their defense like a, a lot their defense in a lot of advanced stats metrics uh looks better than i how i have them which like you can't possibly blame me for i haven't even looked at really their film yet like i'm not putting my thumb on the scale i'm just looking at you know the efficiency metrics uh and and the reason is because the way i look at things i don't care about interceptions like maybe i should but like i sort of view turnovers as more or less random products of luck like if you have a basically if you're really good at defense you will get turnovers um and that if you have a high turnover count for a bad defense that means you were just lucky is the way that i look at it i know that there are people who disagree with me on that question it's actually a very hot one in the advanced stats community but that's where i come down on it um and i th- but also means well, you were on the field for a lot of plays if your defense is bad sure um so there's more opportunities uh 
the uh, that, uh, that, that's about all the the uh, I, I I feel like from the limited tape that I've watched, I feel like a lot of teams um, haven't really approached uh, this this Washington team. Well, they basically they, they fall behind very quickly. And so then they are not able to take advantage of Washington's big liability, which is their run defense. You know, they, they wind up like throwing the ball a lot and then they wind up throwing interceptions a lot. And then it just like the game gets away from them, you know, very quickly. Um, right. You know, and then they got, they're trying to keep up with Washington's right, 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 right. offense, too, who continues to put points on the board. The, the last thing that I'll say um, that, you know, just from, uh, you know, what film I have looked at that has not changed. Well, basically from watching their 2022 film and then comparing pairing against like the game and a half that I've watched of their film so far that has not, you know, changed from 2022 is that just how quick passing of an offense it is. Um, the, uh, in 2022, um, more than 88% of their passes were out of the quarterback's hands, uh, in, uh, under two seconds of the snap, which considering it's a shotgun offense and it takes about a quarter of a second for the ball to get to to the quarterback, like should tell you, you know, just how fast, you know, like, which look, I'm about to say something which, you know, some people out there in radio land may, you know, react to as though I'm saying something really negative about Michael Penix. I am. It is. Please do not take the worst possible interpretation of what I am trying to say. Uh, the nature of this offense is to identify where the throw is supposed to go pre-snap and to make that throw instantly, like as quickly as possible. And uh, uh, if it's not there uh, to find the one other throw that may be in the pattern or to throw the ball away. Um, uh, uh, um, and that's the primary reason why the sack count is very, 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 very low. It's not because they have fantastic protection for their offensive line. I don't think their protection for their offensive line is really very good at all. I think it's pretty mediocre. Um, it's just that the, like I said, 88% of their passes are gone within two. Like your pass rush ain't getting home. It's uh, unless you're bringing the house or you're really panicking the quarterback, which does happen from time to time. It's just, it, it's not getting home. You, you need to take, you need to either figure out some way to crack their system, which I haven't figured out how to do. Like I, I have a bunch of data on Kalen DeBoer, uh, his, his passing offense. Cause like going back to like his Fresno days, cause I have a bunch of film on him. I've been running it through the regression engine. I haven't been able to crack it. Maybe somebody who's smarter than me can do it. Um, or maybe if I had a more powerful computer, I can do it. I can't crack it, um, you know, to figure out where the pass is going. Um, either you need to crack where the pass is going and like, like triple cover that dude and that'll cause Penix to throw the ball away or you need to to just drop more dudes into coverage and if you do that and get them to hold the ball for more than two seconds that's when your success rate goes through the roof his success his his passing success rate if you get him to hold the ball for three seconds or longer hits the toilet um that that's how you win the end that, that's it that's, those are my observations Oh, and because it's such a one-dimensional offense, if you do that, you've won the game. They, they don't. Yeah. 
they're not able to do anything else. They can't stop you from running. They really can't stop you from, pa- I mean, a little bit, but not really. They can't stop you from the passing. They, they can't effectively win the ball, uh, win the game running the ball, and they don't have a different kind of passing offense as Arizona demonstrated. Um, if, if, if you can figure out how to do that, if you can figure out how to get them to hold the ball for three seconds, uh, that's it. The game's over. I mean, Arizona really slowed them down. I mean, played made yeah. them play dink and dunk, slowed them down, kept yeah. them to thirty-one points. And and if Arizona had a a good offense, they could have won that game. Yeah, I mean that's how you do it. I mean, there is, like one dimensional is giving them too much credit. It's like half a dimension. Um, I, it's that's hilarious. That half- that. It's just that that half a dimension is a razor. You know, it's an obsidian blade that cannot be detected by radar. Like. Uh, or metal detectors it's it's i mean it's lethal but if you can do it that's it they're done yeah that, uh, in my opinion they're flat track bullies it's hmm, an interesting expression i they're 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 really good at doing what they do and what they do is really good at making really bad teams look completely incompetent um but when they face resistance their ability to scale that doesn't really it's not it it doesn't work like that and so that's why I mean, i'm really excited to see what it looks like when i mean easier like, said than done though you know no, like, yeah yeah, no like you have three nfl receivers and a good quarterback and i think their tackles are fine but the interior of the offensive line is not that great the running back dylan johnson is better than whatever they had last year um but the interior but, of the offensive line is not great. It doesn't matter. They're, they're not opening holes for that dude. And their tackles suck at blocking, too. Like, their tackles, you know, whatever you think about them in pass protection, they're awful in run blocking. I mean, they're god-awful in run blocking. Fautani is um, better than Rosengarden, but but I agree. No, he's not. The 55, the dude you're talking about? The left the left tackle? Yeah. I, he's he's the- much worse than Rosengarden in, in run blocking. Interesting. I'll have to. Uh, I'm going to be digging into more Washington here later in the week, but um, I'd like to revisit that at some point. Okay. Because I actually think he projects better at the next level at guard. Because he's well, well, mostly out of necessity because he doesn't have sure. very long arms. He's not. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But regardless, I think this is a, a, a preliminary thoughts before really digging all the way in. I think this is actually a very good matchup for Oregon defensively, just based on what we like to do philosophically what we're good at and also the fact that i think that this i think that we're actually set up at corner to match up a lot better than we were a year ago which we is crazy this year yeah gonzo gonzo was fantastic but i think that both jackson and florence and i'd argue possibly even a few other guys are better than our second best corner was a year ago if you can if and, you can what just, we do in the slot like is the big thing too i mean that's where we lost the game last year I mean, if you can just play man, like uh, this is really easier said than done. If you can just play man, the game's over. I mean, that's what uh, like when Cal switched over and just played man like they, which they don't do very often. They're primarily a zone team. But like when they effectively played them in man, like um, they really scared the shit out of Penix. Um, Like like it, it was crazy how many throwaways. Uh, like, I mean, that game was over sort of begin- before it began. Like they only had Washington only had five meaningful possessions and they only needed to score three touchdowns of those five meaningful possessions. But like two of those possessions 
were were three plays and done um one of which was an interception because when cal went to man now one of the times because when cal went to man they basically shut him down although one of the times when they meant to man he just threw right over the dude and it was i mean it was a gorgeous throw it's going to be my article is so perfect like oh my god because he's a really good quarterback like you know if you're not perfect in man he's going to destroy you but if you can be perfect in man like they're but, done, but you might. Well, blank. I was, you don't even like, have to be perfect if you can if you can cover man and and shut down half their possessions, you win. You know what's actually really interesting? Uh, what I was saying uh, earlier uh, about like uh, Stanford might have sneaky good cornerbacks. I'm actually really interested to see them play Stanford. I actually think that of all the teams that you, that you're not thinking of that might match up really well against Washington, Stanford. Which actually, given that series history, would just be hilarious if this terrible Stanford team, but like which likes to run the ball, which has a running quarterback or two of them that their that their coach is super cavalier about, and which sneakily has better corners than anybody is aware of, except for me because I'm the only person who watches film in the universe. Uh, <laughs> Stanford beats this team because it's weirdly a really good matchup. Oh my god, I'll just be on the floor like. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't think that Stanford's nearly competent enough at safety. Well, I mean, I know. I'm just saying the, the the matchup is just funny. How how much kind of like the puzzle pieces fit? Well, the one that I'm really interested to see is USC because USC it, that game already happened. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. The, you're right. Sorry. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw what USC did to Stanford. Yes, yeah, that yeah, was not the, pretty. That's what I was thinking. Of. Although oh, no, US, I, I have USC a funny Washington story game. about that game. The USC Stanford game. Yeah. What's your story? Um, USC couldn't throw the ball from the pocket against Stanford at all. At all. They, I mean, they destroyed Stanford running the RPO, like the triple option RPO, but it was all like screens, um, which like Stanford's uh, defensive uh, staff, uh, you know, ought to be hanging their heads in shame about because they every single time i mean literally 100 like they zero they had a zero percent success rate against the two rpos that lincoln riley ran against them which they did on 80 percent of their plays and so that's why you know <laughs> usc creamed them and i guess i shouldn't be surprised because their defensive staff com- is comprised of bob gregory <clears throat> and uh three dudes from wisconsin and i guess like eating being able to 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 consume your weight in natty light and rotel does not prepare you uh to to defend a good offense offense um but Bobby like, april is not a horrible coach that he was in that game dude like i was ready to fire him when i was watching no, no, that no, game on no, the for sure. but i'm just saying that like in general like if there are worse coaches like stanford has had much worse defensive coordinators oh oh lance anderson is definitely a horrible defensive coordinator um and, I, and bobby april is probably an improvement i'm just saying that it was like it was embarrassing that they had a zero percent success rate against you know this the Lincoln Riley play, which is like, it's not like he busted that one out for new, you know, in that game, you know, like he didn't run in that place. And so I like, this is year eight of that play. Like, how do you not get ready for that? Anyway, uh, anyway, uh, the interesting thing though, is that when like they got kind of bored of running the RPO, um, and they're just like, let's give Caleb Williams a little bit of a workout and, and have him throw some pocket passes, uh, uh, Stanford's corners, completely shut them down completely shut them down which 
which a are, are kind of like like I was saying, I kind of think that Stanford has some pretty decent corners, which is sort of a surprise because they didn't play it all last year. But also b like I kind of secretly think Zachariah Branch accepted because that dude's a you know phenom. He's for real. But I kind of think USC's wide receivers like Brendan Rice, Mario Williams. Um, I, I kind of think USC might have a trash wide receiver core this year. Uh, I trash might be I, a little little strong for by USC standards. By like it, like take USC's white like would you take this wide receiver core versus you know George Farmer versus Drake London versus Jordan Addison versus you know their millions of Heisman you know caliber you know wide receiver like this might be the worst USC wide receiver core in thirty years. That's still bit better than like nine out of 12, you know, but like, I'm just saying, like, I I think having guys like Zach branch, I think Brendan rice has been improved this year. Uh, Taj Washington's a solid player. I mean, you're right. There's, I don't know that there, well, there is a high end player, but he's a freshman. Um, But I don't know if there's any like super high end draft talent. There's There's a lot of twos, not a lot of ones. Yes. That's a great way of putting it. And I think, like outside of the, Zach. the more creative ways that they find to give Zach branch the ball, the better they will be because that I, guy is a freak. I should also say, I, this is a very preliminary opinion. I have a lot of time to watch film on USC and it is very, I've actually, that I completely watched, changed my opinion on this and I retract this entirely. So like I've watched I, more like, USC than Washington and really? I actually, yeah, I just happenstance. Just the games that I've been watching mm-hmm. on Saturdays are like, um, USC has also played in the night slot enough for me to see them a little bit more often. Um, but I, I've actually been really impressed with Brendan Rice. I think he's taken quite really? a step forward this year. Yeah, hmm. he looks legitimately like like a player now where hmm. he's been I, – like, I didn't want him when he was in the portal. I didn't think he would be someone that made us better. Um, but he's pretty damn good now. Um, really? Yeah, but I'm also – I'm with you on Mario Williams. I'm not crazy about him. I think Taj Washington's a solid player. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, but everybody on in the Pac-12 has a Taj Williams or a Taj yeah. Washington. Oh no, yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Um, I think that the the truly special playmaker in that room is Zach Branch. Well, yeah, that's uh, why I specifically said, with the exception of Zach Branch. Like, but Zach I actually Brian think the USC's run game is a lot better than it's been recently. I, I think Marshawn Lloyd's their best back that they've had recently, um, and I think the offensive line is playing at a much higher level again uh, in run blocking than they were um, a year ago. Uh, no comment on that one. I, you know, they played against Stanford's rush defense, which was, yeah, you know, that the only game that I've been able to watch him on that was that question. And it's like, yeah, it beats me. The the funniest thing to me though, was watching USC make Colorado look like they actually had a competent rushing game. (laughs) Like, yeah. Yeah, that's I mean, that's what I was tracking live during the game was like Colorado's rush numbers versus USC and Colorado's rush numbers versus Oregon. It's just like we put Colorado in a box and didn't let them out of it. And yeah, USC uh, couldn't even corral them into like a gated area. Yeah. Again, for anybody who thinks that like, oh, you can run on Oregon, that's their weakness. Like, hmm. Yeah, Colorado knew it. They didn't even try. I mean, we completely owned them on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Frankly, we've kind of completely owned it. Owned everybody we played on both sides of the line of scrimmage this year. So um, I'm looking forward to that continuing against Washington because that's a matchup that I love 
for Oregon um, on both sides of the ball. I, I love, I'm especially interested in watching the interior on Oregon's defense versus their interior offensive line. I, I think that's a real area. Giving, giving Popo and Dorless a redshirt freshman who's 260 pounds and short um, at center to, to go up against. In- I don't. Uh, the the fact that Scott Huff still has defender or you know ha, has has people who are willing to stick up for him is just absolutely baffling to me that they I mean that's like the Justin Wilcox effect like there's still people all over the country who claim he's a great coach I, I mean I the fact it. that they the 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 best option they had at the beginning like it sucks that Mateo Melli got hurt like I'm not that, yeah that sucks I, I'm never rooting for injuries that's an awful thing um, but he's but not like, good either. But yeah, he wasn't the fact that that he was the best option that they had at center is his fault is is Scott Huff's fault. And the fact that the and then the you know, and he wasn't the A plan. Miles Morale was the A plan. He probably, you know, well, we we've already discussed him in the over the summer. Well, he's he, now he, playing either, guard at a very low level for San Diego State. So right. Either either of those two, you know, possibilities, either, you know, he he could have been good and was bad, poorly developed or uh, he never could have been good and shouldn't have been taken, doesn't matter. Scott Huff is on the hook either way, right? And Scott Huff is on the on the hook for the fact that he didn't have any better option than career backup Matteo Melli. You know, so that's number two. Uh, he's not on the hook for for Melli getting injured. That that sucks. I'm, I'm you know, I'm sorry. Um, but he is on the hook for the fact that the best option that he had to replace him for plan C is a redshirt freshman who, as you say, weighs 260 pounds, uh, you know, in Parker Brailsford, um, who to actually all things considered for a redshirt freshman is, you know, is probably doing the best that he can. Um, no, he's just not playing that, poorly. Like, yeah, it's just that like, standpoint. this is Scott Huff's fault. You know, like the, the fact that he has to do this is Scott Huff's fault. You know, like, like Deion Sanders at Colorado is, is having to play has had, has played now two different freshmen, uh, you know, uh, or, or a second year player in Van Wells is his starting center and a first year player as his backup when Wells was out for a couple of games. I'm, I'm blanking on his name. Zelinska, sorry. Um, uh, you know, is his center. Well, that's because he just took over the team, you know, and had to turn over like 60 dudes. And like the, the offensive line was the one position where he really couldn't afford to do that. Cause it's hard to do that out of the portal so much. Like, you know he's got an excuse what the hell is scott huff's excuse he's been there since 2016 he survived like three different coaching changes he is a hundred percent has a hundred percent ownership over this line you know my 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 goodness you know he's still playing for some reason unknown to man uh that julius bulo is getting you know backup you know minutes like planned rotational minutes that you know that 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 guy he was you know, he was a starter for most of camp until they finally uh, yeah, they'll hold yeah, him they, and put in Brailsford at right guard before he yeah, moved over. Yeah, yeah, you're you're exactly right, Doug. Uh, you know the 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 uh, yeah. So they've been playing Hatchet. You know, it's uh, they 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 had been rotating Hatchet. You know, at right guard, but then as soon as uh you know uh Melee got hurt, they had to move uh a uh, Brailsford over to full time center and Hatchet over to full time right guard. And then you know since that happened, we we haven't seen Bulo since. Um, which is you know. Probably Probably, you know, for the best. I don't, you know, to be honest, I don't really blame Scott Huff for Bulo, uh, you know, not panning out because that's just rule of third stuff, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, that that, that would have 
that would have happened to anybody, frankly. But like the fact that he didn't have any other, the fact that they are down to only three dudes, uh, uh, you know, playable dudes on the interior of their offensive line is Scott Huff's fault, such that if they take a single other injury, which I am not rooting for him just like as an analyst one has to plan for all possibilities you know that the, the like the fact that they're in a situation that if any other thing happens for the rest of a long season that they have to put that bum back in uh is scott huff's fault it's so like i they they they, they ought to be running that dude out of, out of town on a rail they should have done so years ago i yeah i don't get yeah. uh, mm. I've been on this crusade about <laughs> Scott Huff is the worst offensive I know. in the Pac-12 for years, and and I feel very lonely at times. Well, you certainly won't get a lot of agreement from the Washington fan base who thinks mm. that he is one of the best offensive I mean, I, I have people trying to tell me in the Washington fan base that Parker Brailsford has good play strength at the point of attack and isn't consistently <laughs> ending up two yards offset from where he started off on every We're just play. flat out on his ass. Like, yeah. Like it, it's like, wait, am I, am I watching completely different film than these people are watching? I, I have no idea, but the, well, I mean, these are the guys who came out of the COVID season, you know, thinking they were going to have a, you know, because they had so many returners, we're going to have a phenomenal year in 2021 on the offensive line. You know what? Look what happened. You know, like those guys don't watch film. Those guys don't know what they're doing at all. Yeah. I just I don't know. It's it's frustrating, and I'm just really excited to see Popo and Doralis absolutely have the way their way with you. And yeah, honestly, Taimani, I think you're tempting I, we, right now. We didn't we didn't talk about it much, but Taimani is playing substantially better than oh, he was yes. a year ago. Well, I'm especially looking forward to him, uh, uh, you know, getting a crack at his uh, old teammates and uh, at, at perhaps shutting up some of the members of the fan base who were, uh, you know, not. Uh, upset to see him go uh, quite foolishly. Yeah. Yeah. And and now you look at what they have outside of Latouille Gasnow on the interior defensive line, who's questionable for this game. And it, it makes That's you wonder. That's truly unfortunate. You know, yeah, uh, they got him. They got MJ Ali. That's who they got. And the Parker a, brothers. He converted offensive lineman, um, you know, another Scott Huff winner. And, uh, What's the other kid? The I cannot wait Bandus. to play this game. They got Bandus. I cannot wait no, to play this game. Bandus and Tuatelli. Hey, we're we are all looking forward to it, QB. Yes, this this is much needed. Um, well, Hith, do you have anything else you want to add? I mean, we've taken up a bunch of your time, and we really, really, really appreciate it. And I always have a blast talking with you. I'm sure uh, Doug does as well. Uh, well, I the only things I want to say are plugs. Uh, I to repeat, Plug I away. am the. I, I am the managing editor and f- football film reviewer for Addicted to Quack. Uh, we uh, we don't just write about football. We write if 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 somebody puts on an Oregon uniform, uh, we write about it. We've got a great staff of writers. Um, we increased the size of our staff this year. Um, you know, we cover everything. Uh, I also host a podcast uh, in which all the uh, the writers uh, for ATQ participate. The name of the podcast is It Never Rains 
on this podcast uh, in which we talk about all the Oregon sports I'm, I'm actually going to be recording tomorrow. Uh, for some reason, uh, the, 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 the Emerald Valley uh, Golf Club, uh, you know, has been bullying us on Twitter uh, to talk about golf. So we're going to uh, one of the segments uh, tomorrow is going to be about golf because uh, bullying works, I guess. Um, but that is just one example of the many uh, sports that we cover uh, in addition to football, which we talk about every week because I'm a football film reviewer. And so you can't get me to shut up about football, as has been evident in this podcast. All right, Hith. Thanks once again. Uh, and listeners, you can catch our picks for week six, which doesn't include Oregon, obviously, on Friday morning, as usual, to be an abbreviated show after all the wonderful content that QB and I have brought you this week with great guests like Hith today. And then on uh, Sunday night, or well, Monday morning, we'll be back, as usual, with our uh, our week six recap episode and then we'll get right back into the normal swing of things with our next thursday morning a week from now review of or not review preview of the washington huskies game hit today thanks so much addicted to quack it never rains on this podcast follow us at qb11 show on twitter qb11 sd douglas ts good night and thanks once again <laughs>